Did Danny watch this with you? I, unfortunately, I have such a bad sleeping habit that I, like, okay, fine. I'll just watch this at 2 a.m. Uh, because <laughs> that's how my schedule is. And I'll for sure, like, finish it. Um, I fell asleep. Uh, not because yeah, the movie's course. not great, but I'm just like, oh, shit. No. Oh, I miscalculated this. So yeah. I didn't no, fully finish I, it, I don't, so no. I don't think this is a film with, like, the most, like, energy and, and, no. and like, kinetic pace, right? You know, but, uh, that happens to the best of us. Okay, I'm oh. going to start us. Hello and welcome to Exiting the 2010s, a podcast about the 90s from the 2010s. I'm Jack Draper. Barb Wire and the Dead Rabbit. I can't think of a more painful thing than Barb Wire. Like, mm. just to make a Saw reference, because why not? I feel like it's needed. There's that one trap in Saw, I think it's like in the second or third one. Might be actually in the first one. Where the jigsaw hooks up like a huge cage of barbed wire and like, hey dude, you gotta get through it. And the whole thing about Jigsaw is like he likes you know, he gives you the choice to like figure it out or survive. Like you just have to have the will to do it. And that one is just like, no, you can't get past that. A whole bunch of barbed wire like, just, like, you're surrounded by barbed wire, like, the whole fucking cage, and you have to crawl out of it? That's impossible. What are you talking about? Yeah, it's kind of a gotcha. Mm-hmm. That's, like... I, I would just give it to... I would give it to Jigsaw at that point. Like, absolutely! What, you're what just, like, you this? win! You win! You win! Yeah. Yeah. And it calls for a pretty striking and dramatic image near the end of First Reformed. At first, <laughs> we see uh, Reverend Toller inflict himself... Internally, now externally, he's crucifying himself. All this imagery, it's great. Um, with us today, it's Raya. How are you doing, Raya? Hi, I'm good. How are you guys? Hey. Yeah. <laughs> very, very well. Um, looking, this is a this is like one of the best movies to come out in our lifetime. I I would say, like that's yeah. Jack is just going to have statement. Is just going to be rock hard for the all of this episode. <laughs> this is he's been waiting you love for this, this movie for... too. We love this movie. Together. No, but I mean, I I that's love this movie, but I. You yeah. love this movie. No, like, I. Oh, all right, yeah. No, I mean, thank you. Yeah, I guess. I don't want to... Just rocked up. Just, point. like, it's actually unprofessional. <laughs> you need to not show us. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm going to... To be professional, I'm going to leave then. That's, I guess that's, that's the thing I can <laughs> um, Before I leave, uh, and before we get into the movie proper, we uh, typically like to learn a little bit about our guests that have joined us for the first time. And with Soraya, how did you first fall in love with movies? If there's anything that comes to mind that are like formative films for you, or films <laughs> that introduced you into like, you know, yeah. what cinema can mean. I mean, so I think for me, um, I, I was always like into, I guess, the arts at large. Um, but when I was in like seventh or eighth grade, um, my dad started telling me about like Clockwork Orange 2001 and stuff. So I just kind of did the thing where I bought all of the books that those movies were based on. And then I would like download the movies on iTunes. So I was like, I like my favorite movie when I was 14 was Clockwork Orange, which 
says some weird things about me, and I actually haven't revisited it as an adult, but I used to watch it all the time when I was a teen, which is deranged. Um, but, like, aside from that and other, you know, I guess um, famous, like, entry-level bro movies, not a comment about the movies, but a comment about the tastes of bros, uh, I guess. Uh, yeah, like, the, the movies I was watching in high school, I was like, oh, yeah, Requiem for a Dream. Oh, right. yeah. Fight Club, uh, or, like, things like that. I would always go to Amoeba, the record store in L.A., and, like, buy mm. DVDs and put them in my laptop and fire it up. Um, and then I kind of, like, I, I still liked movies after that, but it was kind of just a thing of, like, I wasn't really looking back historically at things. I would, like, go, like, my boyfriend and I would go to, like, the Arclight, Rest in Peace Arclight Theaters uh, to go see whatever new releases were coming out. Like, we went and saw inherent vice on 70 millimeter at the arclight hollywood and like all that stuff which was amazing one of my favorite movies um but then when like the pandemic hit then i was like okay you know what it's time that when like an old dude gets mad at me for not having seen like his favorite movie that came out before i was even before my parents were even old enough to be having sex or whatever you know what i mean like i can now like (laughs) take the time and actually catch up so I don't have to lie to avoid getting yelled at by like a guy in his 40s or whatever so yeah I did that and I watched lots and lots of movies and I was like yeah movies got the fucking juice dude and then I Mm -hmm. uh started reading a lot of criticism and stuff I mean I guess before that I was a big like David Lynch fan for sure he's always been Mm -hmm. my favorite filmmaker I think um and then I revisited all of his stuff too but aside from David Lynch I wasn't like super into movies and then finally the whole world opened up to me and I have not looked back and now I'm you know deranged on film twitter like all the rest of us (laughs) welcome welcome we welcomed you (laughs) uh and this film is certainly Lynchian yeah has those qualities of dreaminess sure and um especially in those in those scenes of like you think of the magical mystery tour and, and and like some of the shots of like the the uh, Pepto Bismol going to the glass of whiskey. It's like yes. that's very like like startling. Um, <laughs> well, would uh, sorry, you just would, I, would I just you remembered like... how I just remembered how whiskey tastes, and I just remembered how Pepto Bismol tastes, and I just <laughs> oh, sorry. That, yeah, that no, sounds I'm, delicious. I'm a... What are you guys talking about? Like I wanna, <laughs> like I was actually gonna Google if that would kill me to drink that cocktail because I would like to try it for the heads you know yeah so i wouldn't i i would i would like to try, i'll try anything yeah. have the bear try it first and if he if i, yeah. I mean if it doesn't kill him man take like a sip or something. cool yeah. good good call yeah for the listeners yeah. she has a grizzly bear in in her room yeah currently. yeah we're not talking about jerry mallon white yeah uh, there's big, big distinction in, in our in the studio in the in the music studio room of our apartment we have a nice big grizzly bear hanging out so we need one in every room honestly it's like adds to ambiance and aesthetic and it makes the music better let's just be brief yes (laughs) very inspiring Um, but with things like i mean you know it's like when people would would uh talk about how they fell fell in love with cinema we, we do hear about um how generationally uh uh, video rental places would be so important, and you would find yourself at Amoeba, um, at Amoeba Records a lot. Like that's yeah, some place where it, like recommended you stuff and found like 
things adjacent to Kubrick, you would, you would say? Yeah, I mean, I, I would definitely just, you know, go through there and, like, you know, remember things that people had suggested to me or, like, I had this teacher in high school who, um, she actually lent me a stack of movies. One of them was Wild at Heart or whatever, which was, oh. you know, a great movie to watch <laughs> at, like, 16 great. or 17. Yeah. Um, really formative. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I would just kind of go there and then like use that as a jumping off point. So I would like go in and be like, okay, I liked wild at heart. Like what else can I get? Like from David Lynch or like what, el- what, what other like Nicolas Cage movie can I grab onto right now and walk out of here with? And it was, I guess, you know, again, easier because laptops had a DVD drive, which right. I miss so dearly. Like, you know, and th- I had this really cool, uh, cool is a weird word to use for this. Like. I wanted to, I tracked down uh, a DVD copy of the Adrian Lyon Lolita remake, and it was, like, kind of hard to get a hold of that, so I had to get a Japanese copy of it, but because on your computer you could switch regions, it didn't really matter, like, it wasn't, like, a barrier to I didn't even know watching that. the movie. Yeah, huh. you could you could switch the regions before on, like, I think I had a PC when I was doing this, but yeah, you could um. change the region, so it worked out really nicely, like, I didn't have to go and get, like, a whole new player to watch it. Um, so yeah, I don't know if it'll... I don't know if it'll work now. I have to, I have to pop it into the PS5 and see if it accepts it, so... I think your we'll PS5 see. might explode. I think that's okay. one of the side effects. I think it <laughs> might explode. Well, yeah. fuck. <laughs> hey, I mean, I would give it a shot just in case. Um, <laughs> you know, that I, I I find it funny. You you said fourteen when you got into Clockwork Orange. Yeah. So, honestly, yes, I feel that's, like that's a good Kubrick as you're as you're a teenager. Like, yeah. Well, that's what like I mean. Like, honestly, like Kubrick. Sure, that sounds bad, but honestly, that's probably the age that you can do it where it's not like concerning. Like it's like yeah. it's the like it's just you're you just cross the threshold where you're just like do we need to check on her? Like yeah. you know it, it's like fourteen I think it's the perfect spot to just be watching some fucked up shit because I do think it also yeah. helps that I'm a girl and I wasn't a teenage boy getting into that movie. I feel like the optics. Are oh, good point. Good point. Oh, <laughs> reverse sexism. It actually yeah, exists. Exactly. No, I'm joking. It does. Um, <laughs> It, it does. It does remind me because I was I was listening to some Schrader interviews earlier, as I do every morning, and it's one of those things where like he was talking about the relation between First Reformed and Taxi Driver, yeah, um, and how a lot of people would come up to Schrader and talk about Taxi Driver as one of the things that were very formative, and he was like, yeah, you saw it when you were fourteen, and it broke your brain. Yeah, exactly. Of course, like it's like it's, of course it's going to be the thing that you know me for. <laughs> like, what a crazy thing um, to say to someone. Yeah, you saw my movie at he, fourteen, and it broke your brain. No, I know. I, he I, didn't say that exact. Uh, no, I know, but it's hilarious <laughs> thing to think about. <laughs> yeah, um, your feeble but, little fourteen-year-old couldn't handle my masterpiece. <laughs> it broke you. It it rewired you. It does kind yeah, of. That, it's, honestly, that is one of those movies where you're just like, "Whoa, things are different now." I'm looking okay. at things different like, now. Spe- yeah, <laughs> and I mean, like, if if we're gonna think about how they were different now, like seeing it in 2023, like, and then like in 1976, that must have been like, yeah, outrageous. Yeah. Um, I. Um, I I just find it funny that when 
you know, like, people come up to Paul Schrader to talk about, oh, I love this movie. I honestly, I don't think I'd ever really talk to Schrader about his movie. I think I would just want to give him a hug. Just go, hey, man, it's okay. It's okay. We're going to be okay. It's okay, man. We're going to be okay. I promise. It's all good. That was literally... I would think people have... But then he's just like, no. Like, okay, no, it's not okay. We're like, all going to die. No, it's not. Like, I know. <laughs> um, We're going to be lonely when we do it. Because that, it's like, it, it is funny to see, like, like uh, post-Master Gardener world, like, seeing this movie again. Yeah. Where it's like, he was coming off of, like, not the best streak. Yeah, um, totally. Because this was right uh, after before this. the Canyons, right? The Canyons was his last thing before. It was, it was after Dog Eat Dog and oh. Dying of the Light, which Dying of the Light was something that was taken from him yeah. uh, from the, the studio. And and then it's just like, I, I don't own my movie. I can't rework my movie into the cut that I wanted to, to be cut into. And then him and Nick Cage went and made Dog Eat Dog, right. which was like fine to mid. Um, and then this. And then I feel like since this, you know, obviously Master Gardener and Card Counter, he's just become like, Uncle Paul, he's just like the grumpy <laughs> Facebook movie nerd. I gotta that get a guy. That I is... gotta get him re- writing a journal, and I gotta get him drinking, and we're gonna figure right. this out. Right. Yep. Yep. And and they all have happy endings, <laughs> to some extent. Yes. Uh, Soraya, how did you first come to First Reformed? I have decided to keep a journal to set down all my thoughts and the simple events of my day. I will keep this diary for one year, and at the end of that time, it will be destroyed. I encouraged my son to enlist. It was a family tradition. Six months later, he was dead in Iraq. I was lost. My son's the reading of the Lord. Praise be God. So how are you? Oh, I'm fine. No, really. It's been a while since we've talked. Even a pastor needs a pastor. Did you see the doctor? You need someone to take care of you. I want you to be happy. I know that nothing can change, and I know there is no hope. Reverend Toller? Yes, Mary? You must come over. You must come over now. Explosives. She was becoming someone I didn't know. Opportunistic diseases, anarchy, martial law. You will live to see this. You had no idea that he was thinking of. No, I'm so frightened. These kids, they want certainty. You know, don't think, follow. They fall prey to extremism. It's a world without hope. No, I have not lost my faith. What we did together was a sin. I've seen enough real sin to know the difference. You didn't tell the police, right? Take a look at your own life before you criticize others. These are frightening times. We have to be patient. Well, somebody has to do something. Are you as I write these lines. Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Can God forgive us for what we've done to this world? Who can know the mind of God? Uh, 
Um, I think it was one of those movies. When did you go to church? When did you I, become I, first reformed? I, I yeah. became I became bathed in the blood of the Lamb uh, during ah. during uh, I, the pandemic when I was working through my movie list and I was like, "What is this first reformed business?" So <laughs> I fired it up and I was totally blown away by it. And I have since watched it a lot of times. It is definitely like frequently uh, playing in in the apartment a lot of the time, like when Jacob is doing stuff, uh, he'll put on a movie in the background and first reformed is definitely one of those. So that's some weird vibes. I, 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 you know, this is our first time talking meeting, but that's some (laughs) weird vibes just in the background, just looking over and be like, is he putting barbed wire on himself? And then you're just like going back to doing emails. Like, Oh yeah. Is that not the, (laughs) is that not the most fun you've ever had? Exactly. (laughs) So cool. When background oh, background movies to me it's just like when I look back it's like something either kind of fun or innocuous happening. When it's first reformed, every <laughs> things are things are happening in that movie. You're like, holy shit! Okay, all right, yes. let me get back to my yes. email. No, like the other day, um, Jacob was editing a music video that he had just filmed, <clears throat> and he sent me like a, a thing. He was like, yeah, it's kind of hard to do this when I've got heat in the background, and it was like the <laughs> machine gun battle in downtown LA and I was like yeah I don't know how you are editing to that but like rock on no, no. talk about a contrast in sounds too because that's that's, yes. very, that's just like the loudest sequence ever put to film yeah and totally this is you know very quiet um I want to see I want to see that pandemic movie list that I bet that had some yeah I guess I'll just have to go through my letterbox diary or whatever but it is all in order I think I might have started mm-hmm. the pandemic with um I think God, I think Stalker was my first pandemic movie. Holy so, shit. Oh, cool. Yeah. yeah. No, that's neat. I think you I were. watched that's that. A good one. I did that, that and Lady from Shanghai back to back, I think. Mm. Yeah. Wow. No, that's cool. You know what this reminds me of, Clay, is Emma Arnold. Didn't she have something similar about, like... During remember. the pandemic, I went through a bunch of stuff. Okay, well. Bob, possibly. I mean, that's a lot of that's a lot of people. It's funny. I think with the pandemic, either people were productive and got into new things, or were reductive and got and just find, try to find their creature comforts and only stayed there for two years. It's one of the two. It sounded like you were on the productive yeah. side. I mostly was on the. I I guess I'll go back to all the things I like. And just watch that you a whole time. You watched a fair so shadow. You watched, you watched a lot of movies. At the beginning, yes. And then as the, yeah. as it went on, and I guess, you know, what, yeah. you know, it, it depends on if you still, whether we're still in the pandemic or not, I guess, to some people. But I, I just, yeah, to me, it's now just like, you'll be, it'll, it'll be a cold day in hell before I watch something brand new to me. Um, I'm just rewatching <laughs> a lot of stuff. Um uh. I don't know. For some reason, that's just I've found more comfort into that lately. But um, I do think going having that list and doing like I'm gonna watch Stalker. I'm gonna watch First Reformed shows. Like mm. you, you got some. You got like a strong constitution, if you will. Someone who <laughs> yeah. like I'm gonna get into some <laughs> mentally fucked up shit, and I'm gonna get on the other end of it, and I'm gonna be okay. Yep. That's, uh, yeah. I love that. I love a feel bad movie. That's like my favorite thing. Ooh, I like that. Yeah, I do. I do too. Because it's it, it it is it. I mean, you know, it is that variety thing where you just you just like to see someone's vision. I guess you like to yeah. see someone's view on the world that is radically different. You want to see someone's throw. fucked up head. You just yeah. want to see okay, what's going up in your fucked up head? Because it's pretty yes. fucked up. <laughs> uh. Yeah, yeah, and what? 
I, and I had something similar that I ha- still haven't finished, but I started doing this like five movies per year every year since 1940. Mm. And it was just like, what, I, what do I most want to see? That I oh, just like five movies from 1941, five movies from 1942. Yeah, yeah. That's a brilliant idea. Did you come yeah, up with that first? Yeah. That's good. I used my Anagin. Oh my gosh! Look what happened. I'm an original a, thinker here, ladies and gentlemen. And that's, that's a good cool way to do it. That's a very yeah. Cool that's way to dope. Do it. There's very few people that are famous screenwriters. Really, I mean, there's a lot of famous directors, um, but Paul Schrader is a really great writer who's really made an, a name for himself as uh, as a screenwriter and from the time he burst on the scene with taxi driver and when i first picked this up the screenplay for first reformed it it was just different than i mean i think a lot of screenplays feel more like plans for a party and they're operating inside the director's head and, and that's fine you can make good movies that way but paul is an author he cares about the shape and mood and tone of every gesture of the movie. And it's really exciting to be around and be near. It's strange to say, but I think because my generation grew up watching movies, everybody thinks they're an expert on movies. And Paul Schrader actually is an expert on movies. Um, you know, he hasn't seen a couple Bergman pictures. He's seen them all and written about them, but it's on fire. He's, he's like a, a, an eco-activist, I guess you could say. Yeah, you could say that. At first glance, you start to see him as kind of a radical. And then that's what I think is so relevant about the Underground Railroad that sits beneath this whole movie is what will be perceived as radical 100 years from now? You know, how do we perceive the abolitionist movement now? Well, we perceive them as heroes, and as people with genuine foresight, you know, and well, what will we perceive of an environmental terrorist a hundred years from now? So, the Reverend Toller, Toller that you're that you're playing, uh, as you say, completely three dimensional, a completely believable uh, priest uh, in his argument and in his passion. I completely went along with that. And you're right that often believers and holy people are portrayed as crazy people or idiots uh, or whatever. You significant in that she's certainly a symbol of hope. She's pregnant. We were lucky enough that Amanda actually was pregnant. And it actually is strange to say, but, you know, movies do have subconscious. As you make these things and put them into the world, uh, there was something very beautiful about Amanda talking about the future and her child, knowing that their child was in the room. There's a baby here. And as much despair as there is in the world, there's also this unbelievable hope that comes all the time and this unbelievable beauty all around us. And they're both true. You know, the world is oppressive and the planet is on fire and there's much to be despairing about and then there's much to love. A couple of comments. Obviously, we don't want to talk too much about what happens in the later stages of the film. I did feel that the film clung to me and still really, that there is something about your movie and the way you play, you and the cast. And uh, well, it, it, and I, I'm not quite sure what it is. When I was recalling it this morning, I was recalling it as a black and white film. That's yeah. The images in my head are black and Isn't white. Isn't that awesome? I would ask Paul about the ending of the movie when we were working on it, and he would say that a good film begins as you walk out of the theater, meaning that the movie should really op- function like the ringing of a bell, and the bell is rung, and now it vibrates. That's the sound that gets carried, you know. And the significance of a film is its impact 
what what stays with you? It's fascinating to me that you see it with black and white, because so do I. Of course, it's not black and I know, white. I know, I know, but, it, but there's something stark it. about the imagery, and there's something about the subject matter that, it, in my mind, it's black and white too. And I do think there's something about the way the movie ends that I felt the same way about it. I felt, wow, it just it's vibrating with me. I felt also it was it felt. Um, I felt this at the time and afterwards. It feels as though it's shot like a horror film. I have a really good friend of mine who's a, uh, he's a, actually a French movie producer, but he's the most knowledgeable person I know about film. And when he saw it, I said, uh, you know, you're going to love it. It's like a Bergman or a Bresson film. And after he saw it, he, he wrote me, he said, it's like a Bergman or a Bresson film if all they did is listen to punk rock music and, you know, crank the Ramones <laughs> while they were cutting it. Because there is something, it's both very spiritual and very melancholy, and there's something punk rock about the movie. It was, it's such a funny way I saw this movie, to be honest. Because, so I watched it in 2018, like, when it came out. Or I guess it was, did it come out wide in 2018? Or was it? Yeah, it was Festivals 2017. I think it played Venice in Toronto. And then it was May 2018. Wow. Um, I saw it in June. In the United States of America. I didn't really, <laughs> this was... I was 18 years old at the time, so this was before I like really knew much. Um, I don't even. I think I might have known that this was the guy who direct, who wrote Taxi Driver, and that's it. I didn't really know anything about Paul Schrader. You know, I I was aware of Ethan Hawke, but I really didn't know anything about going to this film. The reason I saw this was because um, I moved to the Portland area in 2017, and I was like, I need friends. This is quite lonely. Um, so you guys know that meetup app or whatever meetup it's like whatever it's like club it's like an app for clubs like oh meet up and we'll do this we'll go on hikes we'll go watch movies blah 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 Mm -hmm. um and when i went to and so i was like okay i guess i'll do this because i don't know anyone here and i love movies so i guess i'll do that the issue is not a lot of 18 year olds are using meetup (laughs) So I'm, like, hanging out with a bunch of 30- and 40-year-olds and, like, late 20-year-olds just, like, watching movies. And it was, looking back, at, at, at first I was okay with it, but looking back, I'm like, that was some weird vibes in a way. Um, <laughs> just this random 18-year-old, like, hey, guys, I want to watch the grown-up movies with you. Now I want to see that from the from their perspective. I know. Like, well, I got, kid, they eventually kicked me. Uh, I didn't do anything bad, but they basically said we can't have, because they would meet up after bars and stuff, and this person would ran- yeah. randomly just said, hey, uh, I don't, really don't want you here anymore. And I'm like, what? That's kind of fucked up. That's and yeah, like, that's crazy. What? Yeah, I know. That was, it was you know, tra- trauma, whatever. Um... <laughs> But I saw in in I I I think I maybe looked it up or whatever, and then I kind of realized that, or I, I texted Jack, "Hey, I'm gonna about to go see this," and I have might I might be over exaggerating. He probably didn't text me "fuck you," but he was like, because I knew nothing about it. I had no like prior experience or excitement or anything. I'm like, oh, I'm seeing this, and that it, I was seeing it before he was, and yeah. I remember him getting being like fuck really you don't even know this movie <laughs> yeah um it was something like that something I, like that yeah. um and so i'm like hey yeah fuck you uh and then i go and then i watch it um yeah and then i was sad 
Yeah, it's weird seeing something like that that young. Because unlike like Clockwork Orange, which operates on such a visceral level, uh, like a visceral level of disgust and discomfort and like pure mm. like savagery, it's one of those things where you kind of, I'm not saying there isn't like a deeper message, but when you're that young, you can kind of get the brunt of it by like just mm. how overtly fucked up it is. With First Reformed, it's like operating on this like level of nihilism and and maybe nihilism is a didactic word to use for this, but just this level of misery um, about just the current state of living um, and the powerlessness we all feel. Um, it's really it, it's something that I was kind of surprised I got the most. Like I, I got it for the most part when I first watched it. It wasn't like something where I'm like, this is slow and boring. What's happening? <laughs> Um, why does it look like that? Why are they talking so much? Um, it's, I, I got it. It was like a very effective film. Um, I think it's just also how effortless the atmosphere is. Just that, what are there, up, upstate New York, is that where this takes place? Yeah. Yes, Hudson Valley area. Yeah, it's like the per, like uh, the most autumn movie you could ever fucking watch is this movie. It's like the definition of autumn. <laughs> Like cold, you know, yeah. cold, uh, musk or dusky vibes. I just like winter is just starting. Right, exactly, and it's a little chilly, yeah. but you know, you see a lot of leaves on the ground, that kind of stuff. Um, and that kind of, I don't want to say gray filter, but it's definitely like there's this, I don't know, it's all this melancholy and malaise, uh, permeating throughout the film that it's just so. I don't know. I, I, I'm surprised it worked on me at a point where I still had really bad opinions. I was still like, MCU movies are the best, and, you know, all this other dog shit. Um, yeah. But it was still... You almost like, expected, still... like, you'd be harder on the movie, like, in a way? Maybe not at the time, but now, for sure. Just, just going back to how I first approached film and how I approached film and how I approached movies, I for sure thought I would be just like, this is kind of pretentious. Like, mm -hmm. no, it like just operated in a very like, I don't know. It, I mean, it, it, it is visceral at times, but it also <clears throat> is just so emotionally raw and kind of gets to that human experience in such a profound and genuine way that I feel like even at 18, yeah. I'm like, I get it. <laughs> yeah. Now to tell the other side of that story. <laughs> I don't I don't think I really thought about that until you brought it up. That um I I, I was very much looking forward to it at the time because A twenty four, who I you know, I, I feel like is is off doing their own thing now, but at eighteen, at twenty eighteen, twenty seventeen, they were on such wow. a roll, such and they were so consistent. And I admired their brand as much as anyone else did. Um, and they were advertising this like, like as this is something that was totemic, but not really giving away what this was about. Its trailer is very striking to me. And the trailers were always good, but it's like this one in particular. Um, my friends from high school and I had plans to see this um, on a Saturday. But then something came up on a Saturday with one of the friends. And then we were like, okay, shoot, we'll just do it another time. And then that Friday, it was like, get in the car. We're going to see this. Like, I was 
they then got me. They kidnapped me, and we went and saw First Reformed like on an earlier showing, and that was very fun, like a surprise showing. Yeah. Uh, we we all left like startled and just like really shaken to see. And I don't I don't like the magic of this movie is like it didn't do, it, it was like one of Schrader's like best performing movies financially. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and like it wasn't. Like we were not the only ones in that theater. Like it was, it wasn't like. I remember our theater being moderate. Quite, it was like moderately yeah. busy, which yeah, is yeah, pretty yeah. sweet. Um, okay, I'm gonna, but just to like give some context about like the vibe in the car going home to see this from seeing this, a couple of curse names right now, uh, <laughs> just because it's like this is what I think of, right? Like, do you guys remember by chance the Canon podcast uh, from several years ago? Nope. Oh, it was. Oh, it was hosted by with, Devin yeah, Oh, that's right. Yeah. I remember and this. Amy Nicholson. Oh. And, okay, I'm only bringing this up because it makes me think of this one time they had on Henry Rollins. And Henry Rollins was brought in to talk about Apocalypse Now. What they talked about or what Henry Rollins had to say about Apocalypse Now, I don't remember. But I just remember <laughs> Henry Rollins talking about the first time that he saw it, him and his brother walked home silently and just, like, with with – you know, just digesting everything. Yeah. And without much conversation. That was us. <laughs> it was a silent car ride home. And it was just like, what was that? It, it was incredible. Like we just we were like, I don't I don't know what to say. Like the world is miserable and we're all <laughs> radicalized, right? Uh yeah, seeing this at eighteen, this is essentially what I think of as as uh Gen Gen Z taxi driver. Mm. Sure. You know, I guess, and, and if, if that's annoying to say, um, you know, this this is talking about the the current contemporary moment without being annoying or condescending about it, and this is just the continuation of Schrader uh, repackaging the, uh, you know, the light sleeper character into totally into something that's <laughs> really um, like that that's something that's very important, and uh, and and you know, he has an. In, I was listening to his interview with Sean Fennessy this morning. Yeah. And they were talking about even back then um, what it means to be successful in in the in the time of 2018, and it's like he was saying like yeah I think it should be like what your legacy is as um, as something that's persistent and something that's constantly talked about and he cited Lady Bird and Get Out at, from at that time, and I really think that First Reform joins that that group that's that's so so important um and became like really welcomed because of its internet uh usage like it became memed but like in a respectful way yeah which was very nice um (laughs) no i I love this movie dearly yeah i mean when like when don't don't look up came out um yeah, well, so I that that movie came out, and I was sick of seeing people talking about it on Twitter. So I like quote tweeted someone ta- saying something good about the movie with just the photo of Ethan Hawke with the bomb vest on, or whatever. <laughs> and I like kind of was like, if you guys want to see an actual movie about climate change that like doesn't talk down to you and also like doesn't have the most gloom and doom ending in the world i got a picture for you or whatever and then like a bunch of people were like what do you mean it ends hopefully that's stupid i was like do you not see this photo of ethan hawk in a fucking suicide bomber vest like i don't think you get what i'm saying like your your brain your brain cannot comprehend what levels 
I'm talking about here, but like it kind of went, it did numbers. I'm not going to say it went viral, but it did numbers. And I was just like, oh, so this is what it's like mm-hmm. to, to reach the internet at large. Don't, don't <laughs> like this. <laughs> God. The mass void. Yeah. We, it's yeah, so always, funny. This is the yeah. second episode in a row that movie came out because we did Shutter Island. We were talking about DiCaprio. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The, oh, yeah, that's right. The, fu- yeah. The, the damage that that movie did, like, it's just crazy to... It makes me feel crazy because not that... Like, I don't... Like, first reformed, like you guys said, like, you guys saw it when you were 18. Um, it's not It's not a difficult movie to comprehend. And Don't Look Up is so, like, baby-brained. And <laughs> it doesn't treat... Like, it's, it's kind of, you know, among the, the current trend of movies treating their audience like their babies and it is so frustrating like the disrespect that so many filmmakers now have for the american public and they're in fact contributing to the dumbing down of the american art audience and the american audience in general and it's just ugh, the irreparable damage that that movie has done to our society is just it it will be studied in the future i'm sure (laughs) I have a lot of fucking opinions about that movie. Because it's like, <laughs> McKay makes that movie to basically show all of the fucking, you know, Republicans and MAGA heads how dumb and hypocritical they are and how stupid they all seem. And they, he made that movie. But the thing is, none of them are actually going to fucking watch it. You fucking idiot. It's like yeah. it was a movie made for your base so they could all feel good about themselves saying, well, we actually yeah. care about climate change. Those hicks don't. Okay. Yeah. It's, Did you make a good movie with that? No, you yeah. didn't. It's not well edited. It's not well directed. The performances are god awful. It's not fucking funny. It's yeah. just one of those things where you're just like, your whole, the whole point was to troll the right wingers. And that was the whole fucking basis of the entire fucking project. And it serves no point for everyone to just pat themselves on the back saying, I'm not a bad person. I look yeah. up. Like, it's yeah, horribly just fucking stupid. Because yeah, you it's... can make a message movie like yeah. that or whatever <laughs> and have it be good. You made it and it's bad. It's just on every formal level a bad fucking movie. Yeah, Sorry. like, I think a lot of the, no, just a lot of the issues that I had were, like, people that, you know, I, 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 I find to be smart. A lot of my friends from high school and college, like, you know, saying things like, oh, it's such an important movie. I'm like, it's not important. Like, it's, and also, like, you know, a movie isn't good or bad just based on the virtue of the message that it is signaling to you. Like, movie can have a good message and still be a bad movie, and there are so many other movies that deserve that spotlight so much more that are giving you the same message and that are actually good like first reformed so Mm. i don't know just it's like it's it's kind of hard to have the conversation about one without the other but yeah (sighs) yeah because that made me feel nothing but bitterness yeah and and annoyance and 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 it was like it wasn't thought-provoking yeah, at all. Not at all. Like, I don't know. I've ever passed all of these feelings about fucking don't look up. But <laughs> um, I mean, it, it is an interesting contrast, right? Like, with here, it just it, it makes you feel everything. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, like it. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. No, no, it's just one of those things where like 
it makes you feel like I. It made me feel like it's weird to say because like you know it can mean anything, but it made me feel like an adult. Huh. It yeah. made me feel like it like it treated the audience with maturity and with yeah. intelligence. It did. It was one of those uh, first movies where I'm like, oh, all right, I'm watching some shit. I I'm you know. <laughs> Yeah. I drink coffee once in a while. I I can I can smell what you're stepping in. All right. I, like I can think of a few examples where it's happened before when a filmmaker and I was in theaters and a filmmaker just had such a perspective and an intelligence and a vision like um you know Moonlight comes to mind and um like I don't know, like Blade Runner 2049 comes to mind where it's like some things just like grip you, especially at that age. But um, yeah, with this and, and especially like how de- how well detailed it is and, and how you can like receive the feeling that it's giving you and also the content. Like, I mean, think about A Clockwork Orange again. It's like it's visually striking, but it's like at that age, would you understand what it's saying or like what it's about? Yeah. And would that matter? At that age, you know, I guess it's it's up to it's up to you. But um, with this, I, I it really like struck me the way that um, everyone felt helpless. But it, I know, I don't know if I would say nihilistic. I would just say realist. Yeah. Because Schrader's a realist. Yes. Schrader likes to um, play with these archetypes that have shown. Um, a great restraint of their times because it's like he's like a sneakily great contemporary writer I find too like, yeah because because also like some background on Schrader for me like um, this was the first film that I've seen that he's directed but I'd seen all his work with Scorsese before this mm. um, and then slowly like I've seen now everything but the bad ones okay <laughs> <laughs> like I haven't like I haven't seen like you know touch <laughs> or I haven't seen like Adam resurrected like the fake sounding ones um <laughs> but but like he's just he's the best at at, at you know making movies I yeah know. I mean it's one of those movies where like so like I said like I've seen it a few times but I never like you know I I it was I don't want to say it was passive watching before but you know this was the first time I watched it with a notebook and like wrote things down and yeah, it's, me too. it's really interesting to see how like it works really really well on the surface level which is what you want from a movie but also when you do like look at the individual parts of it everything he does is such he he knows I mean you know because he's been doing this forever he knows exactly what choices he's making and why and it's also really cool to see him doing that and also, you know, being one of, I think, the few um, filmmakers that we have who has had, who's been pretty ahead of the curve and pretty good politically across at least his, like, you know, his newer movies. Like, he's got, he's clearly working through some shit, but, like, you know, at the end of his life now he is, like, seeing the impact of, um, like, you know, allowing the possibility of love to help people and to heal people and not to be so punitive I guess but like one mm-hmm. of the things that I that I noticed in this watch was that he a lot of the times like when a scene is ending he will the camera will linger on the doorway where people have just exited from or it will linger on the place where people just walked away from to end the scene and I feel mm-hmm. like it kind of like like one of the things that that makes you kind of think about is the impact of 
one, I guess, like, martyrdom in this situation, like, in the way that Michael, I guess, is a martyr for the climate and that that Toller wants to be up until the end, you know? It's, like, it makes you see the impact of, like, what happens when people are gone, but it also, I think, at large, makes you think about what the world will be like when we no longer can be present in it because of the collapse of the climate and the way that the world will not be livable anymore. And it's really interesting to see how, like, that's a choice that he makes across the movie where, like, the camera will stay static. And he's also, like, you know, trying to evoke his transcendental uh, masters in his mind, like Ozu and stuff, where the camera just kind of stays in one place, but he will let the scene linger even when people are gone so that you really have to sit with it and sit with what you've just seen and what has just exited but yeah just things like that there, there's that one shot and sequence when uh mary is informed of michael's suicide yeah and it's like the camera does some really interesting things where like uh toller will discover the suicide note then return back to the ca- ta- back to the couch and it's like all filmed from Michael's office. Yeah. And it's, and it's very interesting once you don't have, when you have that lack of movement, the world just like is, is slowed down a bit. Yeah. Um, and it feels much more, um, it just feels like there's a hollowness to this entire, um, to this entire space. Like, and yeah, like with the climate anxiety, like then I think of um, the sequence, the beautiful sequence once, um, Toller is like driving to like the graveyard and like there's that shot of like the the dusk like skyline and it's like yeah really like the purple sky yeah. um and it's because it, that's that's ultimately like what the what these cities and towns have like turned into like where it's like these um shopping centers and like like these buildings now and it's like been taking up all this space like in in New England especially where it's like especially when it's chillier outside and when it gets to the winter time, I feel like it's a lot more desolate and it looks uglier as the, yeah. these shopping centers and shopping malls have just taken over space where it could be used for, sure. for other means. And now like it's now invading like Toller's health entirely. And to see that combined with the rest of the story is very intriguing. You yeah. are, it's funny, Jack, out of, I guess me somewhat, but this is a movie about <clears throat> where you grew up, basically. I mean, obviously, you did not grow up in New York, but that New England vibe and that New England aspect of the whole film, it is something that you uh, have been around for, you know, the majority of your life. So, was that something that you initially connected to when you first saw it? That Totally. You know, yeah. Totally. Uh, totally. Um, and, uh, and Trader also connected to it in Affliction as well, like Affliction being in New Hampshire. Where is he um, from? New York, right? Paul Schrader's from New York. Let's double check. Uh, but yeah, like this is something that I feel like, like everyone's like a little less, uh, oh, he's from Michigan. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Wow. Um, hmm. yeah. Um, and it's one of those things that I feel like gets gets enhanced by its little details, like like it's just starting to to be winter. Like I, it almost feels like a November, uh, like like November when it's like the first snowfall. Um, like everyone just is like a garment 
um, away from being underdressed. <laughs> and, and yeah, it's just the way that like there's no sunshine, I feel like, and it's it's this it's this time of like a mass lull in everyone's um in everyone's life because of the way that the I mean the, literally the way that the world looks, but also just like the weather infecting everybody. Um and it it certainly adds a chilliness that I I'll always think about with this and how even like the it, it almost reminds me of something like even the rooms that people will inhabit have a chilliness to them. And it just everywhere has has this sense of like uncomfortability that, that it's yeah, it's added by the four by three. Also. Yeah. Like, I mean it's like that's part of the that's part of like, you know, the whole like MO of of the transcendental style, I guess, where like you're not mm-hmm. like ev- everything is supposed to feel stark, but it really does help this movie tell its story more about like as Schrader calls it God's lonely man or whatever Mm -hmm. you know like what's one of the other things I noticed too is in those opening shots where it's just like the outside of the church and stuff and most of the movie too but it really is like you it's really apparent in the beginning um the it it almost looks like it's in black and white because there is so little color and like the only pops of color that we get throughout the movie are in the are brown uh from like you know the wood of his apartment and the whiskey and then pink from the pepto or whatever mm-hmm. and like right. the most colorful right. scene in the movie is when we have that insane sunset at the yeah. um like the waste yard or whatever and then um and then i guess the magical mystery tour which at first does start out really beautiful and colorful and then it returns to the starkness of like the pile of black tires that he is suddenly preoccupied with and all, all the waste and all of that stuff. So it's really interesting to see how like the movie shifts somewhat tonally, like based on what, what the colors of the screen are doing. And that kind of at the end, he like, it feels a little bit more, even though it's a lot of Brown again in that last scene, um, mm-hmm. you know, he's got, he's got the white robe on yeah. And it suddenly feels like it's like there's a there's a purification thing. And it's almost this is just mm-hmm. me talking myself into a stupid corner. But it's like, you know, <laughs> he 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 do be washed in the blood of that lamb. Like he's he's in that mm. white robe and it's it's covered in his blood that's seeping out because he's got that barbed wire all around him. But like he's experiencing a moment of purification through his like through Amanda, through Mary uh, saving him. And that is largely the role that women do take in Schrader's movies. They're the, the purifying force for these men who are reckoning with what they've done or what they haven't done to make their world a better or a worse place. So it's kind of funny that, you know, I mean, of course, her name is Mary for a reason, but he's... Wait, what? Yeah, whoa! He's like, you know, <laughs> just experiencing this whole moment of... not Not that it's... Again, it's not necessarily a happy ending, but it's like he is experiencing mm. this moment of something good happening and something that is life affirming and telling him not to turn towards doing an act of terrorism, regardless of how right or wrong you find it to be. But yes, you know, and like what he's wearing and like the fact that he is bleeding through this white robe or whatever, it all really ties into everything that we've been seeing and hearing throughout the movie up until that point. Do you believe that Mary was 
suspicious of, of an act of violence that, that Toller thought of? That's a good question. I, I genuinely don't think so. I genuinely don't think that she was. I don't was. think so either. Yeah. I just think that she was like, well, where is he? And she walks in and, you know, sees him about yeah. to drink the Drano, but. Because <laughs> it is one of those things where they're two very lonely people. Yeah. And he helps her as much as he helps, you know, they help each other. Yeah. Um, as much as um, that's that's how Trader views, you know, the female characters in Zoobies. Um Yeah. And it is one of those things where, like, it's it's a very I think it's a very happy ending like there is some there is genuinely like there is some form of reconciliation and yeah a form of acceptance with both of them like we have each other like it's not simplified like that but it's like they have each other and the embrace can the embrace needs a second of healing for the both of them as they know like this world is is passing them by um yeah. Because like even even though like the barbed wire is now like bleeding through and it's a great image, like the barbed wire is bleeding through the robe. Yeah. And the robe is is a purification. Um Toller knowing that he is because it's such a cause it's such a like a whiplash of like Toller not going through with the suicide vest at the yeah. anniversary, but then he is then embraced by Mary and like accepted. Yeah. And and I and I think that's really interesting to convey in like a minute. Yeah. Um, I think what I mean by like the the ending like ha- like the that your mileage on the happiness may vary is that like Paul Schrader happy endings are not a regular happy ending. Like, you know, it's always either the the pickpocket ending or something mm. like this where it's like it's bittersweet. But you're like, right, oh, if, right. it ends rips in, pickpocket. if it ends yeah. in one of those places, you're like, ah, yeah, we're, we're in the happy Schrader movie vibes, not like the depressing <laughs> Schrader movie vibes or whatever. No. But It's not hardcore. Yeah, it's not it's not hardcore. It's not Mishima. It's not anything like that. Yeah. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, yeah it's, it's in the same way I, I think of like Paul Thomas Anderson having happy endings. It's like it's happy for the character. You know, it's like, yeah, <laughs> in their yeah. I, I think what stands out about this movie today in what year are we in 2023 um is i think i mentioned this word earlier is how powerless we all feel how completely unable to control any part of our future the collective society society feels like that's like Jack, when you said this is what a taxi tra- taxi driver for Gen Zers, that so- might sound you know that might sound cringy or whatever, but it's I don't, abs- I don't like it. I don't like that I said that. I think for the, <laughs> sure, but let's live in the world where where we all love it. I think that really is true because I think there is this and just the way he captured our current life in um, in the card counter. I mean the, the way Trader usually is just spot on with where we're at as a society um and obviously this hasn't changed since 2017 but and it's only gotten worse but how when you see the actual problems we are all staring at and a lot of us are just like i don't know what to do about it so i gotta just pretend it's not there because we have feel no power no matter how many who we vote for no how many times we vote no matter what you know, fucking uh, uh, piece of legislation we all support, no matter how popular 
uh, fucking whatever political decision is. Like, nothing really changes or anything, nothing really happens to solve the problem. That we're all looking at and be like, this is bad, this has to change, or we're all fucked, and we all recognize it, and we're all ready to be like, yep, let's get rid of it, or let's do this, and we try to take all the steps in order to actually solve that issue and then it just doesn't happen because of things yeah. out of our control because of big money interests because of you know private business private businesses and private entities and just government corruption overall and all these different <laughs> things to get very big picture about it but that level of just so desperate for something to actually be changed and for us or us as individuals to have any kind of fucking impact on anything that level and it kind of drives you crazy i think at this point we're all at this level of psychosis that we don't really want to talk about but i think all of us are basically actively crazy right now (laughs) we just with how this world makes us actively crazy and we in this the the how logic absolutely fails our sense of reality because we're all like okay we can all agree that the world is gonna we're killing the world actively like we're stabbing it in the throat and we can't stop we just keep stabbing 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 and we all agree for the most part like let's say okay 70 percent of the world agrees that's it's a problem and that probably it should be changed since 2017 Michael doesn't sound that Looney Tunes anymore. I didn't, like, yeah, I, like, I don't think he did like, to I, begin with. <laughs> yeah. No, 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 yeah. I guess it's just the age is like, oh, like, yeah. he's supposed to be, like, the catalyst, I guess. But, no, no, I completely, like, he, yeah. didn't, he didn't, That that's not the. No, no, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. Yeah. I think one of the, I think one of the things that I've noticed through this, um, this trilogy the fourth movie hasn't come out yet, so I'm not going to say tetralogy yet. But through this Schrader trilogy in general, Ooh, is that like use in of this word tetralogy? Well, I, a... I'm using his word. He said it, not me. I'm just quoting that's... him. But wow, okay, that's he, someone uh... that's been to the Master Gardener Q and A. <laughs> yes, I, I, I am not just a Schrader head. I'm a Schrader apologist. But there you um, go. <laughs> when like what one of, what I noticed is that in this one, like this being the first part of this set of movies, is you know. Uh, the Reverend Toller is kind of trying to work through where, you know, like he's always like, will God forgive us for what we've done? Because this is a big collective action that has happened. Like, you know, like what you were just saying, Clay, it's like, you're a, you're a frog in a slowly boiling pot of water is basically what's happening. And there's really not much you can do except for get used to it. And I think what ends up happening, like, you know, by the end of this movie and throughout the trilogy is that, like, you kind of realize that, like, in Schrader's view, at least, you are powerless to change the situation at large. And so these p- people are people trying to work through fixing their part in the, like, evil at large in the world. So he goes from trying to do something big and, you know, do a suicide bombing at this church that is supported by an oil company that launders its reputation through philanthropy and he realizes that he can't do that and he can't bring himself to do it because he would hurt mary and he would hurt innocent people and so he's like i'm just gonna do it to myself then because i don't want to have any part in what's happening to the world and then in 
card counter, it's the same thing where, like, it's funny talking to you guys also because I'm, like, a, I'm older than you guys and I'm old enough where I, you know, was conscious when 9-11 happened and was conscious for the aftermath of it, I would say, whereas you guys were babies. Um, and, <laughs> I mean, there's also the added layer of myself being, like, a Middle Eastern woman where, like, it was a, it was a different experience for me than it was for a lot of other Americans um, and the aftermath especially. So in card counter it's like you know watching oscar isaac's character try to come to terms with his role in the cruelty of the american empire and what we did to the world and he's like well i can't change it at large i'm just gonna fix my small part in it and do what i can to atone for my part in this atrocity and then the same thing happens in the master gardener where he is like you know joel edgerton's character has contributed to virulent violent racism and white supremacy and he knows that he can't fix the entire problem but he's like i have to just do what i can to fix my part in it and granted it works differently for things on that conceptual level than it does for things like you know what climate collapse of the planet and things like that but it really it's interesting to look at the contrast in how you reconcile the collective action or the collective apathy or you know the way your tax dollars fund things that you don't necessarily agree with versus the things that you actually can tangibly change, even if it is through an incredible act of violence or anything like that. Mm. And it also goes to that point of how men are like, okay, I have this problem. I need to atone or whatever. And they're like, what can I do? Violence. Ah, this will solve everything. I'll kill my former CEO or I'll fucking, um, or I'll blow up a church. This is going to solve everything. Like, we're so, <laughs> it's like men sometimes are so incapable of anything but, like, like, it's almost, you know, there's that almost, like, sad, like, not savage, but, like, Neanderth- Neanderthal aspect of it all, where there's been plenty of times where I will hear about someone being like a like being a dick to my girlfriend and i'll just be like "Mm, maybe i should go beat him up and it's like well that doesn't (laughs) solve anything clay that's just to make you feel better but um it might solve something (laughs) yeah maybe um but just that instant like gut reaction of like i don't know how to solve this but with violence yeah um and schrader is such a perfect director for that dissection of in uh, of instincts that men have with that i mean you know taxi driver is like again no, like totally. perfectly perfect like the perfect example of i see this you know i see a child prostitute and i see this horrible thing happening what if i just went in there and shot a whole bunch of people i think i'd be a hero <laughs> and it's and and the very i mean the end of taxi driver is that he is anointed as as a savior as, as, a, as, yeah. as the, all right right but what I do think is funny about what you just said is that also, like, you know, it's like, yeah, like, maybe it there is something about the, the male urge to, uh, like, you know, give in to violence to fix things. But also sometimes there is no other option but to, to fix things through violence, you know? Sometimes that is kind of the only way to do it. Not saying that any of these straighter protagonists are justified. I will not contribute an opinion to that Isaac can kill Defoe I'm okay with that one if he wants to kill Defoe I'm I'm all right with that one like it's kind of like well what other options are there because like no one else is going to punish no one else is going to punish 
Willem Dafoe's character for doing something evil like that. You know, he's seen mm. as a hero by his government and by patriots in the country. And so he's not really, and he, you know, lives in a nice, beautiful house. So he's not, he's not suffering for what he did outwardly, at least mm-hmm. he might be, you know, r- racked with guilt for the rest of his life. But that is, I don't think that's a worthy punishment. So I do think that sometimes violence is unfortunately the only answer. I really hope I don't get, uh, Stopped at TSA now for having said that, but just talking about the movies. Just talking about the movies. We're gonna movies. have Clay and I deal with the TSA. <laughs> I have, if they ever, if they I ever have give you proposed violence plenty of times on this podcast, so I can. Okay, I think, this is true. This but then is true, again, without much hesitation. But then again, I, yeah. I'm not the person. I'm not. You know, they they'll let me say anything. They won't. <laughs> this is true. They'll they'll this let me true. say anything. They don't care. Um. <sighs> But but the the Michael Gaston character here at Bulk yeah does remind who is gr- who is a great at character actor yeah does remind me of the Defoe character as both of them are reaping yeah. the rewards of the damage that they can cause to totally uh, the main characters and the the, uh, uh, the world's issues at yeah. large because you know of course Schrader is a master at zeroing in on violence, vengeance, sins, redemption, all these fun, fun things. Who's having fun right now, right? These, this is so fun. Um, but also just contradictions. Totally. Uh, I mean, one of, I, I will always laugh at when um, uh, Ernest rips apart Esther, and then he's like, I feel fine. I feel oh my great. God, I know. That's <laughs> he's, he's journaling, and the, it's hell. It's hysterical because it's like this, and and when he says like I despise you, I hate the way you make me feel. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then like it's the scene or two later when he's going and and looking at the gif of the uh, suicide vest. Yes. Yes. It's, um, it's very funny. And I, and I noticed I noticed this time that the mouse is hovering over visit page. Yeah. <laughs> where it's like he's really like, and it's it's crazy where it's like the little details. Um, of this character are like, you're not even gonna go to the website. You're just gonna look at the Google uh, the preview results. Yeah, the preview. Yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah. Um, uh, and also the flip phone. I love the flip phone and oh, like totally. how Ethan has to like do one of the squints to look at it clearly. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, because because he's he's someone that feels. You know, and, and of course there's a that feels lost, but then it, of course I made the connection. Also to the card counter, um, losing his son in, in Iraq, and then that caused uh, his marriage to fall apart. Yeah. Where you do get the sense with that backstory during the conversation with Michael where it's like he is on the brink of uh, m- like despair. And, of course, he was in despair before the film. But it's like then losing Michael and feeling, and feeling guilt for yeah. um, uh, having Mary become a widow, you would you would say like this was this was almost like inevitable for for him to just like go into this you know psychological self torment. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it's like in that scene when he is talking to when he's counseling Michael or whatever, and he's talking about it. And he, I, I wrote down, he said like I talked my son into a war that had no moral justification, and like as he's saying all of this. The, mm. the actor who plays Michael has this look in his eyes where, like, you can Philip tell. Philip Edinger. Yeah. He, he was great. Like, you can, you can yeah. really tell with yeah. just him giving a look that he 
has already made up his mind about what he's gonna do and he's mm. not really gonna budge on it mm-hmm. and he's just like you know giving him this wide-eyed look of like of almost recognition he's like he can see that Ethan Hawke's that that Toller has like the same he's got that dog in him basically to, uh, <laughs> con- to, he's got that dog in him to do eco-terrorism yeah. if he's just he's got doggy dog right, right to there you go fit in a Schrader, Schrader, Schrader pun Schrader pun well yeah, so, um, like, I had to rewind and go back because I was like oh my god his eyes they tell you everything yeah. is so fucked up They're, it's a fantastic performance yeah. but it's like it is one of those things where I, I love the voiceover use in the film, yes. of course. But in that moment when he's like, he just talked about this, this, and this, where it's yep. like, you get the point of the conversation. But it's like, even if Toller would say something that's, uh, um, that really means nothing yeah. or that is, is misplaced or misjudged, I mean, Ethan is, this is Ethan's finest performance, maybe ever, uh, certainly of the decade. I don't know how and he beat it. He's, he he speaks with such conviction, yeah, and such like like wisdom that you then understand why Mary finds comfort in him, even after the supposed idea of like he brought um, Michael to this point, which I don't think she ever thought, but you could. Well, you Bulk could says think, that. Bulk so. says well, that. Well, yeah, 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 absolutely, absolutely. He's like, you counseled um, him, and he shot himself. Maybe you right. should step back. Like, damn, that's right. fucked up to say. Uh, but I, 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 before I forget, I just also want to mention that um, this is, and we can get into Ethan proper later, but I now want to push it on to someone that's not here right now. But Kyle Amato, host of Hotcast, is now going to say a few words about Ethan in First Reformed and just his performance here and, and sort of his career in the decade. Mm-hmm. Then I'll play that. Okay, go. Hi, Jack and Clay. This is Kyle Amato, the co-host of Hawkcast, the webmaster for City on a Hill Cinema and contributor to Boston Hassle. Um, yeah, so Jack asked me to just say a little bit about First Reformed, which is an incredible movie, my pick for probably the best film of the decade. Uh, what's really important to me with First Reformed is it's the movie that proved that I was right for making Hawkcast and that it would be an interesting project of a singular actor's work and it would be a lot more fun than doing, like, Jude Law or, like, Matt Damon or something. Like, those people make interesting choices. But, Ethan, there is always something going on. Even though, <laughs> lately, the stuff we've been reviewing, I'm like, mm, next time, Ethan. We'll see how uh, Leave the World Behind goes, which might be out by the time this episode is. And we'll we'll all know. But, yeah, I mean, Ethan is incredible in First Reformed. He, as Reverend Ernst Toller, just totally embodies the Schrader man archetype, which I think everyone knows about now, but back then I don't think I had a great grasp on Schrader outside of Taxi Driver. Now he's one of my favorite filmmakers. I've seen him in person a few times and he's just, it's fucking funny. He's a smart as a whip, but his body is falling apart. And every time he makes a new movie, we have to be grateful. And I am nothing but grateful for first reformed. And besides it being like so gripping and upsetting and just about climate apocalypse and everything it's also really really funny like when he's giving the tour to like the college student or whatever and the guy tries to like tip him at the end and they're talking about just like first reformed merch and i do have a first reformed hat but it has gone missing um would love if it turned up not sure where it is i don't know it's up to god that's i mean that's what the movie's about too so we don't know but yeah uh it is probably ethan's best performance 
he is so dialed in and I don't know, everything he does with Amanda Seyfried is great. Everything he does with the husband who is in Wildcat and he's not very good in that, but yeah, that's not really the point. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm excited to listen to the episode, hear you talk more about it. Uh, yeah, until then, keep hawking those guys. I think it's when, when talking about Hawk, and I guess we can just maybe transition to into him now because it seems pretty easy, but when you're like, I, this is his finest work, it's one of those things where I don't think you can possibly give a... I, what else could it be? Like, I don't know. I couldn't even ponder what other answer there is for Hawk. I, I, would, say, I would say Jesse, but Jesse he's played three times. And it's like he has so much. Oh, yeah. He has so much more time, but that's that's like, that's hard. They're so. This is. This I just is don't just know how like you get better. Than perfect. This. You know what I mean? Like it's yeah. it, it's yeah. And and I know this is very like a subjective. You know, it's all fucking opinions. But it's one of those things when you look at the performance of the technical aspect and how much of the film relies on his performance and his performance alone, whether it be in his internal monologue or. Um, just how he's operating and reacting to everything around him. It's like, what else is there for you to do in, as an actor? This is it. This is like the perfect acting showcase you could possibly really have. Um, mm-hmm. There's nothing better than something like this. It, it, it's To me, it's when I'm thinking of like Denzel and Malcolm X. It's where it's like, there's nothing more. That's a performance. Mm-hmm. That's the most complete performance you could possibly have as an actor. There's no yeah. question of, yeah. you know, and it's and Denzel's my favorite actor of all time, and he's given there's just a laundry list of amazing performances. But there's just nothing more than what he did in a Malcolm X. It encompasses mm-hmm. everything you want as a performance. Same thing as Hawk in First Reformers. What else is there? This is the most refined version of Ethan, and he's and he's aging quite well at this at this point, and which is which is why like I mean he's aging well, like phys- you know. it's physically why he's so interesting here. But also it's like Ethan at this point you wouldn't expect for him to take on a role like this, yeah. and for that to be the subversion. I feel As an like eco terrorist, no, it wasn't on my bingo card. Have you guys seen the um, the twenty twenty one Abel Ferrara movie Zeros and Ones? <sighs> yes, I have. Yeah, I, I think that these two. But did we of, really? I love I like we, I love that movie. I'm a I'm a Abel Ferrara fan stupid. for I'm sure. I think that yeah. I think those it's two yeah. those two the, like this movie and that movie would make such an interesting double feature. I think I did watch Absolutely. them pretty close to each other too, and I kind of want to revisit Zeros and Ones now because it's like a little bit thematically similar. Obviously, a little bit thornier and hornier because it's Ferrara, but. It's a uh, certainly an interesting movie commenting on the current socio-political cultural moment. So, yeah, just a I note love to revisit Ferrara. Don't get me wrong; that movie is just that it just went go out. Yeah, out it's, over it's, me. it's a little crazy. It's a little crazy, and there's not a lot of writing on it because it wasn't a big movie. And like the you know the cover art, I, someone tweeted something a while ago, and I always think about it. They're, they're like late stage Abel Ferrara movie covers all look like you would just pick it up mistakenly in, like, the bargain bin at a Walmart and have oh, no absolutely. idea what for. <laughs> they look like they're all financed by Eastern European production companies yeah. that you've never heard of. Because they were are. Made, yeah. It were made with the amount of tax write-offs to small to fund a small nation. Like, yeah, it's just it's, yeah. completely... Pretty amazing. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. It's he, like, yeah. He's living comfortably in Italy. And yeah. It, 
and it's just like doing doing his thing. I saw him do a Q and A after yeah. after Bad yeah. Lieutenant also, and he's another just absolute joy to hear speak. Abel Ferrara, I I'm hope sure. you live forever. You're, he's so funny. Yeah. he's found the fountain of youth for sure. Yeah, because um, <laughs> like because. Um, Siberia was also another one. Yeah, that it's like this is. Bad Lieutenant is another movie where you're like Catholicism kind of everything. fucked up. Well, yeah, I feel like yeah. I feel like the, like in a lot of ways, you know, Schrader and Ferrara both really like using the same actors in their movies, and I think that they both have yeah. similar themes. Came up play. around the same time, also. Like you know, they're yeah. they're two of our most yeah. uh, Christian and like Catholic, right. I guess, as the two thing. Like they're two of our most like. Like Christian thinking filmmakers who put that type of like thing into every movie they make. Men, yeah. violence, religion. That's yeah. like those. That's their three food groups. Um, yes. And mm-hmm. I mean, you know, of course, that's being reductive. I mean, like Miss Forty Five or whatever. Like, there's a lot of other sure. shit. But, um, but yeah, I mean, like that. You know, thing of uh, King New York and Taxi Driver and. All these other yeah. movies, it's just like, yeah, that's their, that's how they communicate. Because also, it's one of those things you can make, you can make the argument that most of human existence has been defined by those three things. Yeah. Totally. The violence of men and the, in the, you know, religious, the, the uh, religion impacting our culture. Those are the things that have maybe just, Or that's like, what, you know, the, yeah. the the spiritual implications of that because yeah i guess you can break that down into a lot of filmmakers careers like i mean like like i was mentioning earlier david lynch is i think my favorite filmmaker and his movies are very often about quote the evil that men do and i wouldn't say it's the the religious implications but the spiritual implications and the supernatural implications i guess often come up in that too so i think it's just everyone has an interesting way of looking at that mm-hmm and also Lynch coming from transcendental meditation, yeah, and how that influences the look into um, man's violence yeah. and um, redemption and totally and in uh, sinful acts. Sorry, did you have any thoughts on Ethan? I mean, he's overall, one of or... my favorite actors. I love him so much. Uh, if I ever yeah. met him, I would combust. But yeah, his performance <laughs> simply. Inc- I mean, I've, right had, place. I've had too many Ethan Hawke dreams in the last six months. Like it's bad. Uh, nothing, nothing scandalous. We're just hanging out and being buddies and it's like the best thing ever and waking up sucks. Um, but, um, yeah, no, his performance is amazing. Like you can really, again, like just cause there's not a, he says a lot of words, but it's often just in a lot of his reactions to things that happen where you like see things in his face that you actually can't even convey with words. Like Mm. one of my favorite things is just in general, like in, in film and in, in music too, like looking at what is conveyed, not through like actual words, whether it's, you know, a a guttural moan or a wordless utterance, you know, like just a sound Mm. or looking at like what is in the silences or looking at what is on someone's face. Like I think a really powerful example in the past year was Lily Gladstone in Killers of the Flower Moon. She had some moments Certainly. in that movie where she was just wailing and you could feel everything without her yeah. having to say a single word about it and it was the most fucked up thing of all time so mm-hmm. yeah i just think that that ethan yeah. hawk does a lot here i mean also just you know some of the sillier stuff s- silly when you th- like it, it's silly but also like it obviously like works it's not corny like you know when he's clearly 
having so much pain when he's peeing and (coughs) color is coming out like you're just like jesus christ man like i really do think that you have to go to the doctor ethan hawk not reverend toller like what is going on but this is a documentary well yeah. it's the, but it's like you get you, you have such a connection with the actor that when you see them go through something you're like no denzel no exactly. are you okay yeah. Yeah. oh my gosh yeah First performed written and directed by paul schrader i had never worked with paul before paul for people that don't know you know he wrote taxi driver and when I got this script, I knew it was one of the best characters I'd ever been offered. He's a great writer. And great writers speak to their time and speak to their moment. And First Reformed, I think, speaks to right now in much the same way. When you think about movies and the history of movies, you know, it's, you don't really see very many movies that deal in a grown-up, serious way with your spiritual life. Most of us wonder why we're born and why we die and wonder what we're doing here. What is it all for? Why do we go through all this? And there's a certain community of the world that spends their life thinking about this, which is the religious community. And you don't see very many of them in movies. If you do, it's like in The Exorcist or something, and they're, or they're bad guys, or they're comics. But you don't see a serious portrait of somebody who's dedicated their life to some of the toughest questions. And Paul is smart enough and well-educated to write such a part. The movie, in a lot of ways, is like a scream. It's like a, it's a roar from an old lion you know, who's kind of roaring at his own generation and roaring at young people. He's just asking questions. And I think that that's like one of the jobs of movies. I, I, think, I think about when, um, when he's with, when the final scene with, um, uh, with Joel, Cedric the yes. Entertainer, yes. is also fantastic in a name we haven't mentioned yet. Um, when when he's like, oh, I'm just having some wine with dinner, and he's like, yeah. I don't think someone with stomach issues should have wine with dinner. Exactly. You should cut that out. Um, Ethan, when he sa- he says Ethan in that moment, um, and I, I, like what? Yeah, it, it's those moments are just so unsettling when yeah. he like brushes his teeth and blood comes out. Ah. <laughs> yeah, just, I know it's oh, it's, this is the most fun ever. Speaking um, of of Cedric the Entertainer, though, like one of the things mm. that he says to one of the things that he says at the end of the movie is such an important line when he says even jesus wasn't always in the garden you know but like <laughs> yes, that's yes. like this entire and the movie, line reading of that is so yeah, good like yeah. this entire movie in fact is in the garden like spiritually <laughs> and then like it's even funnier when you look back at last temptation of christ and like mm, how he handles that right. part in that movie too it's like god damn paul you're always thinking about this yeah but yeah, that, I thought that was such a, like an important line that I didn't really pick up on the other few times that I've seen the movie. And I was like, oh, fuck, he's fucking right. Mm-hmm. God. But in, in, and in the first conversation with, with Joel, it's, it's, it is interesting to have um, Ethan's body language just completely shift. Like he's smiling, yes. he's making jokes. Like, totally. Who is, like it's a completely different sh- pivot. And, um, yeah. I, I know this was, you said this a while ago, but I just want to say, if I was having constant dreams of Ethan Hawke, we're at least <laughs> fucking once. That's happening, at least once. I mean, it's, it's just going to happen. Like, I, I'm going to be curious about it. My brain's going to be like, huh, what's that going to look like? Yeah, um, I'm shocked that my imagination has been so chaste, but I think I think it's just building up to something great. <laughs> right, exactly. This is, this, is a pan- this is a pandemic movie that I saw, but I mean, I think peak Ethan that was around our age might have... Might have been reality bites, and I'm like, wow, that really had some swagger. What a gorgeous man! God, I, yeah, I love I know, him. A... <laughs> I, I I think maybe the 
most attractive I've ever found a man was when his, um, what was the YouTube video of him talking about art? What was that for? Was that for like NPR or something when he was talking about like the beauty of art and why we do it and why we are artists? You know that video. It's an amazing video. It's something I've seen multiple times. That's like I can look up. I mean, uh, it's not even that I was attracted to him. I was like, I was so spiritually connected in a way that <laughs> I just don't feel with other pe- beings. Just the way he was talking is just like, oh. Is hi. it give yourself permission to be creative? Yes, some, something like that. Yeah. Oh, it's 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 TED Talk. TED Talk. That's right. It was one of those. Yeah. I was hoping today to talk a little bit about creativity. You know, a lot of people really struggle to give themselves permission to be creative. And reasonably so. I mean, we're all a little suspect of our own talent. And I remember uh, a story I came across in my early 20s that kind of meant a lot to me. I was really into Allen Ginsberg, and I was reading his poetry, and I was reading, uh, he did a lot of interviews. And uh, one time, William F. Buckley had this television program called Firing Line. And Ginsberg went on there and sang a, a Hare Krishna song while playing the harmonium. You know, and he got back to New York to all his intelligentsia friends, and they all told him, "Does you know that everybody thinks you're an idiot? I mean, the whole country's making fun of you." And uh, he said, "That's my job. You know, I'm a poet, and I'm going to play the fool. Most people have to go to work all day long, and they come home and they fight with their spouse, and they eat, and they like turn on the old boob tube, and somebody tries to sell them something. And I just screwed all that up." I went on and I sang about Krishna. And now they're sitting in bed and going, who, who, who's this stupid poet? And they can't fall asleep, right? And that's his job as a poet. And so I find that very liberating because I think that most of us really want to offer the world something of quality, something that the world will consider good or important. And that's really the enemy because it's not up to us whether what we do is any good. And if history's taught us anything, the world is an extremely unreliable critic, right? So you have to ask yourself, do you think human creativity matters? Well, hmm, most people don't spend a lot of time thinking about poetry, right? They have a life to live and they're not really that concerned with Allen Ginsberg's poems or anybody's poems until their father dies. They go to a funeral. You lose a child. Um, somebody breaks your heart. They don't love you anymore. And all of a sudden, you're desperate for making sense out of this life. And has anybody ever felt this bad before? How did they come out of this cloud? Or the inverse, something great. Um, you meet somebody and your heart explodes. You love them so much you can't even see straight. You know, you're dizzy. Did anybody feel like this before? What is happening to me? And that's when art's not a luxury, it's actually sustenance. We need it. Okay, well, what is it? Human creativity is nature manifest in us. We look at the, um, oh, the Aurora Borealis, right? I did this movie called White Fang when I was a kid and we shot up in Alaska and you go out at night and the sky was like rippling with purple and pink and white. And it's the most beautiful thing I ever saw. It really looked like the sky was playing. Beautiful. Go to Grand Canyon at sundown. It's beautiful. We know that's beautiful. But fall in love, your lover's pretty beautiful. I have four kids. Watching them play 
watching them like pretend to be a butterfly or run around the house or doing anything. It, it, it's so beautiful. And I believe that we are here on this star in space to try to help one another, right? And first we have to survive and then we have to thrive. And to thrive, to express ourselves, all right, well, here's the rub. We have to know ourselves. What do you love? And if you get close to what you love, who you are is revealed to you and it expands. For me, it was really easy. I did my first professional play. I was 12 years old. I was in a play called St. Joan by George Bernard Shaw at the McCarter Theater. And boom, I was in love. My world just expanded. And that profession, I'm almost 50 now, that profession has never stopped giving back to me and it gives back more and more, mostly, strangely, through the characters that I've played. I've played cops, I've played criminals, I've played priests, I've played sinners. And the magic of this, it, over a lifetime, over 30 years of doing this, is that you start to see that my experiences, me, Ethan, is not nearly as unique as I thought. I have so much in common with all these people. And so they have something in common with me. You start to see how connected we all are. My grandmother, my great-grandmother, Della Hall Walker Green, um, on her deathbed, she wrote this little biography in the hospital. And it was only about 36 pages long. And she spent about five pages on the one time she did costumes for a play. Her first husband got like a paragraph, right? Uh, cotton farming, of which she did for 50 years, uh, you know, get, gets a mention. Five pages on doing these costumes. And I look, my mom gave me um, one of her quilts that she made, and you can feel it. She was expressing herself, and it has a power that's real. I remember my stepbrother and I, went to go see Top Gun, whatever year that came out. And I remember it, it, we walked out of the mall, it was like blazing hot. I just looked at him and we both felt that movie just like a calling from God, you know? This, this film, and, but completely differently. Like I wanted to be an actor. I was like, I gotta make something that makes people feel. I just want to be a part of that. And he wanted to be in the military. You know, that's what all we ever did is play FBI, play army man, play knights, you know, and I'd like pose with my sword. And he would build a working crossbow that you could shoot an arrow into a tree, right? So he joins the army. Well, he just retired a uh, colonel in the Green Berets. He's a multi-decorated combat veteran of Afghanistan in Iraq. He now teaches a sail camp for children of fallen soldiers. He gave his life to his passion. His creativity was leadership leading others, his bravery to help others. That was something he felt called to do, and it gave back to him. We know this, the time of our life is so short, and how we spend it, are we spending it doing what's important to us? Most of us not. I mean, it's hard, it's hard. The pull of habit is so huge, and that's what makes kids so beautifully creative, is that they don't, they don't have any habits, and they don't care if they're any good or not, right? They're not, you know, they're not building a sandcastle going, I think I'm gonna be a really good sandcastle builder. You know, they just, they throw themselves at whatever project you put in front of them, dancing, doing a painting, you know, building something, any opportunity they have, they try to use it to impress upon you their individuality right? It's so beautiful. It's a thing that worries me sometimes whenever you talk about creativity, because it can have this kind of feel that it's just nice, you know, or it's warm, or it's something pleasant. It's not. It's vital. It's the way we heal each other. In singing our song, 
in telling our story, in inviting you to say, hey, listen to me, and I'll listen to you, we're starting a dialogue, you know? And when you do that, this healing happens, and we come out of our corners, and we start to witness each other's common humanity. We start to assert it, and when we do that, really good things happen. So if you want to help your community, if you want to help your family, if you want to help your friends, you have to express yourself. And to express yourself, you have to know yourself. It's actually super easy. You just have to follow your love, right? There is no path. There's no path till you walk it. And you have to be willing to play the fool. So don't, you know, read the book that you should read. Read the book you want to read. Don't listen to the music that you used to like, you know, take some time to listen to some new music. Take some time to talk to somebody that you don't normally talk to. I guarantee if you do that, you will feel foolish. Have you guys seen the movie he directed Hmm. about Blaze Foley? No, no, that came out the same year though. But yeah, I, 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 sh- I should. Say I that. quite liked it, honestly. I mean, I'm I'm okay. a country, I'm a like old timey country music fan, and I would like for Ethan Hawke to to be directing more. Like, I guess I'm excited to see what the movie he directed yeah. with his daughter, but yeah, apparently not good. That yeah, I know. I I will sucks. be seated regardless, but yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, who? Yeah. who oh, wait, uh, do we know anyone who said that? Like us two, Jack? Did any of our friends see it and say it wasn't good? Kyle has seen it and says it's not good. Kyle? I trust Kyle. Yeah. Unfortunate. Yeah. He would be the person yeah. to be like, no, it, it good. Um, yeah. I have it, seen it, Ethan Hawke in poor. Moon Knight, so, hey. Oh, my God. What do you well, think now? So and it was, he was good in it. He was fine. I don't know. He was. It seemed like he was having fun. He was just, like, just being this weird, like, cult figure who had, like, a lot of issues with God, um, but uh, an Egyptian God instead. He had like a yeah. like a the, like a bad relationship with an Egyptian god, and that's kind of fun. The issue here is that it is wrapped up in Moon Knight, and I don't think that makes it any better. That I mean, it's, uh, it's be... it was. I don't know, man. I like that character so much. Like the or I think I, gotcha. I thought it was fine. Uh, I think whatever. dude, wait, you... that's so funny that Moon Knight is two of Paul Schrader's God's Lonely Men in a yeah. fucking Marvel mm. property. That is deranged. And they're yeah. in whatever you think about the show itself, they are good in it. What I mean, sure. they, they are good, and they have good chemistry. Um, again, for the most part, Oscar is doing some wild stuff with that. Well, it, I, I, now I'm thinking. I now when I like saw Cedric the Entertainer come into the movie, I'm just like, what was the casting process for this? Like, who reached out to who? And was it a casting director? Like, fuck, you know, I know the perfect person for this was Trader. Just like, it looks like Jack knows the answer. Jack looks like he's. About to I, say I, the I just, I do. Well, this is. Let me live in my own world, Jack. <laughs> okay, fine. I I'll leave and I'll let you just think of your own answer. Um. Paul Schrader reached out to Cedric the Entertainer. What a crazy sentence! A non a non comedic part, and that you would be essentially he was like, understand like Cedric was understanding that this would be a dramatic role, just you know based on the context of the film and reading the script. And you know, this is why I am always in the mind, and I think this is honestly one of the films like that proved it to me once again uh, that part of being a great director is part of is being a great casting director and having a great eye for casting because it makes me think of um uh richard pryor in blue collar which is like one of the finest performances he's ever directed and is like 
Richard Pryor's first turn into something much more darker than than what audiences were used to at that time. If you're Cedric the Entertainer, and you're getting and you get that phone call, okay. Do you think Schrader oh. is already in his context and it pops up as Paul Schrader? Or do you think it's just the number? And he's like, oh, I wonder who this is. I would have... Um, do you think he has too many Pauls and he's like, Paul S is Paul Schrader? <laughs> what was it like to make a film that was also uh, in conversation with, with Taxi Driver a fair amount of the time? I asked that to you, to, to you guys as well, especially you, Ethan. Your character is definitely not psychopathic like Travis Bickle, but is having a bit of a similar moment. I don't know, you know, it, I don't know what it's like for Paul, but Taxi Driver, just things about a major work of art, it, it, it infuses the psychology of the country, so it's a part of us. It's, it's referenced in other films. It's kind of fascinating to be referencing it with the guy who wrote it, that is. But it's only interesting if it serves this story and this character, and it, and it did. It speaks to this moment now. And I could imagine that Reverend Toller probably saw Taxi Driver and thought a lot about it and wondered about it. <laughs> you know what I mean? It, would, it impacted him. And I don't find... I, those references are fun for filmmakers. And they're, they're, it's kind of like reading a really great Vonnegut novel. There are references to earlier Vonnegut novels. And if you're a big Vonnegut fan, that's fun. But the book either works or doesn't work on its own merits. Right. And, and so... I love this character because it's dealing with issues of depression, love, hope, spiritual longing, um, a disappointment in our leadership that is sometimes manifesting in a positive light and sometimes manifesting in a negative light. And nothing is one thing. Your character's not one thing. Nobody's, and it, when I get to act a part like that, it's thrilling whether it's referencing, you know, whatever it's referencing. Cedric, that you know him saying that your character is not one thing is so uh, so right and smart about this film because he could so easily be a kind of glib uh, capitalist uh, reverend or you know running running this mega church. How uh, how many what kind of conversations did you have with Paul going into playing this character so that did that didn't come come across in any way and you weren't making a joke about this person? <clears throat> yeah, I think well, I mean that was one of the key things Paul wanted to make sure uh, what he. You know, I think he referenced it when we were back there uh, that he liked the idea that this guy was an every everyday kind of personality, somebody that you would see and you would automatically be kind of disarmed uh, by just the fact that I either think I like him already, like you know, which is in a way what the the minister should be, right? It's like when you when you see, when you think about a, a minister, you kind of go like, I automatically give this guy, you know. Uh, this kind of you know credit for being a good guy, and I should believe him, and he should be a great leader. And until he messes that up, like with a s scandal or something, and you know, but the fact that you know when when you know that I have to raise so much money, the fact that I you know that he's trying to kind of come at one of my big donors, and I need to kind of calm that down. That's the thing that you you realize that the job of having a mega church, the job of being a pastor and then also a CEO of this kind of big organization mm -hmm. is 
is where, you know, kind of where the line is, is drawn in the sand. And so I thought that that was interesting that you wanted to kind of believe that I like this guy and then see things that you may question, like, wow, that he doesn't, you know, he's not actually with, e you know, Ethan's character or Reverend Toller on everything because, you know, again, I've got, I got to raise a lot of money every year, man, and this guy is one of my big donors, and, you know, calm down. Everybody needs to yeah, relax. The, yeah, the, the first time I spoke to Cedric on the phone, uh, you know, I said to him right off the bat, I'm not casting you to be funny. And he immediately said, I know that. Because I was a little worried that he would think, oh, I, you know, we, we want to put some comedy in the movie. And, uh, but Cedric immediately understood when he read the script that this is not, he isn't being cast as a comic, but he is being cast because he has that aura of friendliness that we associate with comics. And his character, in a lot of ways, represents the kind of impossibility of pure virtue in the in the in the world that we live in right now. Which is, no matter what ideology you hold, no matter how sort of purely uh, hopeful it is, you are in some ways intrinsically linked to the to the machine itself and to some form of degra global degradation. Related to casting, also, um, there was someone that was in talks before Amanda Seyfried, Michelle Williams. Yeah. Oh yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I would make sense. I, I think I would prefer Seyfried in this role. I think. I don't know. There's just like this very Famously, angelic. There, there were two movies that she had out around this time. First Reformed was one, and now we've covered both of them. It's Mamma Mia. Here we go. Oh, that's again. right. Right. Oh my god. And which is the best thing ever. Um, Seyfried has this like angelic presence that's real, like this kind of like, oh look, it's an angel. She's come down, <laughs> and it's like this like real you know like you know heavenly aura around it. She's like very like like pure. You know, I don't sense like there's not this like inner dark demons that I see when I see Amanda Seyfried. I'm just like, oh my god, <laughs> that's Amanda Seyfried. She has the most purest morals of all. Like, it's just this, oh it, it's just, in, I mean, I don't think that's, like, true or whatever, but I, it's just this very, like, Michelle Williams, I almost already sense conflict with. I'm already, like, there's something mm. going on. With Seyfried, it's just this, I don't know, it's just, like, this a very angelic, kind figure. Just walking well, in. I, yeah. I think that works for the movie, like, you know. No, I, I do, too. She, the way that she is in the movie, too, like, I agree, I wouldn't change a single thing about how the movie is, but... The things with her character, I mean, like, you know, obviously there's the, the obvious about her name is Mary. She does seem to, you know, just be pregnant through immaculate conception almost. Like, you know, there's not really, like, you, you don't necessarily feel a lot between And it works and that husband. Amanda Seyfried was actually pregnant at the time. Oh, I didn't know she actually yeah, was. That's yeah. crazy. And then, like, you know, when, when they're doing the magical mystery tour, she's wearing this white sweater. And so when she lays on top of of Reverend Toller, like, it almost looks like an angel's robe is sitting on top right. of his outfit or whatever, you know? Like, it really does conjure up that imagery. So her angelic nature as an actor in general really worked to the advantage of that characterization, I think. Yeah, I, I think that's why it's, like, perfect casting. And, like, like with Cedric yeah. and stuff, it's just, like, it really just yeah. gets the... Do you think Cedric would have been, like, not embarrassed but like kind of like you want me to play like the phony pastor is this her is there something you thought of me randomly is there something you need to say to me paul huh 
you cold call me saying I'd be great for this movie. And it's not like a, it's not like an insult to be like, I thought of you, but it's not not an insult. I, I think Schrader details it as like, he can be the phony pastor because he's so inviting and yeah. charismatic. Well, he's the entertainer. Rather than there's no other the entertainer. This is true. He's the one. <laughs> this is true. You, there's you not, do kind of have to live up. There's not to live Josh the entertainer or that. Timothy no. the entertainer. No. There is Cedric no. the entertainer. I, I do love how we like the Mary, like the Mary thing, and I, I just my immediately in my head like Paul, you silly goose, you I you silly it. you you He's not so yeah. silly. you can't you can't be subtle even if you tried you, you're so silly. No, he's a goober, but that but it's like he's such a goober that it doesn't really matter that you have to be overt with it to ruin the movie. Like that's yeah. really impressive. It really does I mean, that it can watching, be provocative. Right, right. If you're like watching a Paul Schrader movie, you've also bought into the fact that like. He keeps making the same movie over and over again, and you're gonna like it, goddammit. And I do. Yeah. I will eat God that shit it. up. <laughs> He's made it now three times in the past. Yes. Several years. And six I years will. Now. I will keep showing up. I will keep showing up <laughs> yes. and waving the yes. flag. I'm fucking in. I'm so in on it. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, like, what do we what do we say about like the magical mystery tour sequence? That's that's fucking crazy. Um, I, I remember the look that my friend gave to me when it happened. Um, mouth agape. Where um, does that term yeah, come from? It. Magical. What, uh, what are you talking it's, about? It's from a Beatles song. It's from a Beatles song. But that's what she says that she does with with her husband. They like call it yeah. a magical mystery tour. They both smoke a little bit of weed and then they just lay on top of each other. Well, you know, not to not to spoil Master Gardener for you, but since we've already said that he's made the same movie three times, it is. Not, it's funny to look at the analogs to each scene in the other movies. Like mm. there, there, there is an analog to this scene in Card Counter when he's at the zoo, uh, when he's looking at the lights with Tiffany Haddish's mm-hmm. character, and then there's a bit of an analog to this as well in Master Gardener that uses really, really beautiful CG. Actually, I was really into it, but I don't know something like that is so inherently spiritual and almost doesn't connect to any kind of consideration of traditional Christianity. Something, again, like smoking weed and having your mind travel through God's earth is just like something that's so not traditional. And it's this inherently like spiritual aspect. There's no real religion tied to it. It's just, again, it's more than something like that. It's pure... I don't know actually how else to put it. But when we were talking about when you made that distinction earlier about how Lynch is maybe not religious but spiritual, that and so when it comes to like moments like that, like things that are so they don't prescribe to any kind of real certain rule of experiencing spirituality. It's yeah. just this big mind melding of everything that is existence and nature and God. Or so, or what, or whatever God is, or is even if it is a thing, like it's this this kind of real, just not hippy dippy, but purely, it's not tied to any kind of baggage of prior religious beliefs. It's just this spiritual experience that I found yeah. that it's just not something you would think would happen in a movie that would be so directly tied to the tenets of Christianity. Sure. Um, so that's always that always stood out to me when thinking about this movie. Yeah. Um, and it is a very small cast, which um, Schrader pulls off well, like all the time. Um, I mean, the card counter has we have Haddish, Defoe, Sheridan, 
um, and Isaac, and uh, that's really it. Yeah. Um, it seems like, I don't know, I think you have to have a lot of confidence as a director to not rely on an ensemble or a big cast of characters. Um, just, like, a few ones with distinct personalities. Even First Reform probably even... No, it probably has the same amount with, you know, Balk and Cedric and the solitude and individualist aspect of Schrader's films in this kind of genre, the one-man-in-a-journal genre. Um, it's He's very comfortable with that isolation and that inner monologue. I mean, the narration is something that I don't think anyone else does better than Schrader. That's like like the inner monologue that you hear of them, you know, describing their own actions and thinking the way they do. I mean, Card Counter is obviously a great example, but it, it's like it he does it with such masterful precision. It's just really always great to see. Yeah. It's really bad because it's like it is on it is like a contradiction and uh uh dissection of someone's twisted you know uncompromised mind but i do tend to quote rent like i just find it i find the quote like one of these days i gotta get organized funny from taxi driver <laughs> narration i just i just always find it like you you want to do something but you can't even spell the word right yeah like, very funny still <laughs> yeah totally that's just that's one example of um but th- yeah and then here it's it's like there are moments where um, it really gives you a look into his mind, even when it's less it's less um, concerning. Like I haven't written a bicycle in two years, <laughs> and he's just and he's and it's like it's clearly someone who's looking for a form of yeah. partnership, but isn't but isn't ready to admit it because he's. He's like upkeeping, and it's, and it's and of course it's like another really funny moment when he's when he's giving the tours to the church. He's upkeeping something that is dead. Yeah, you know they call it um, um, a a store for merchandise. Yeah, totally. at some point, and and it's like that's already sad as is. But then it's like towards the end, <laughs> which got a big laugh from our theater when it's like he's giving the tour to the children. He's like all those people trapped in there. I know, seriously, scared, you're like, damn, helpless. Like, oh my Cold. <laughs> you are not doing well. It's <laughs> you need so to funny. <laughs> Stop being around children. Stop being around children. <laughs> yeah, that part is very yeah. funny. I know. Ethan, are you okay? Like, this is a documentary. He's not. Exactly. He's not okay. Yeah. I feel like he's no. made that pretty clear. I no, think I should no. fix him, in fact. No, you No, you literally can fix him. <laughs> yeah, you can. He you needs can the redemption will. of a woman. <laughs> <laughs> don't we all but even then it's just yeah, i know i know even then it's like oh it's far too late one of the things i noticed this time around was like the movie doesn't really have a score which yeah was an intro like i, I think it's, it it works um, to make everything feel just so like lonely and scary like the only music that you hear are, are the church songs and like the, a little bit of like droning whatever when the magical mystery tour is happening and starts to go wrong um, in, in moments like the Magical Mystery Tour sequence and in other moments, there's a score. Schrader cre- credits the soundscapes to yeah. uh, Brian Williams, which yes. is an interesting, like, departure guy? from a score. No, uh, Lustmord? No, who am I thinking of? That, that's, like, the stage name that he goes by, at yeah. least. Um, but, yeah, that was really interesting. Yeah. And then the other thing 
which I, you know, I, these are both things that I brought up in my previous letterbox reviews for this movie, but I just always like to talk about it. Like, just, you know, the little things that happen, like when the voiceover is always somehow linked to what you're seeing on screen in a funny way, like when he is literally saying, like, the desire to pray is a prayer in and of itself, and at that moment he's praying to the porcelain god and puking into the toilet. Um, I think that is a <laughs> lovely juxtaposition. But yeah. also, as so, okay, this is this is my coastal elitism coming out, perhaps. Yes, yes, and yes, yes. And granted, sushi, sushi is better when you're close to an ocean. Let's, let's be real about that. Um, so I always find it funny when people go out to, like, a nice sushi restaurant and order like an abomination of a roll that has like cream cheese and like a bajillion oh. things in it or whatever and you're like dog why are you eating a spider roll just get a beautiful plate of sashimi like just get the fish and rice that's what you're there to eat like why do you have to ruin this thing and then when he goes to the sushi restaurant like reverend toller is having a beautiful plate of sashimi and then you see bulk and his buddies and they're literally going to town on like dragon rolls or something like that and you're just like damn this really is the dichotomy of good and evil here crazy yeah. <laughs> that's my coastal elite rant yeah i was gonna say this is evil, the radicalized I, and the unradicalized I, I grew up as a coastal elite and i currently live on the other coast of where i grew up as the coastal elite and i still uh, was like yeah. that went over me yep yeah it's funny i mean i just that was you know one of the things i was like oh yeah like however many watches deep i'm like oh yeah they're eating, they're eating bad sushi. <laughs> this is funny. I know, I know, because it is, it is interesting to see. He's like, I'm eating fish and mayo on miso. Yes, and it's like this is the this is the cure to all of my problems. And he's like, he's so proud of his ascetic. He's so proud of it. of his like ascetic lifestyle, like you know, living like a like a monk or something like that. You mm. know, as as many like. You know that that kind of goes hand in hand with the transcendent with the transcendental style of it, but also like you know to be as close to God as possible, you live with just the bare essentials. You know he doesn't have any furniture; he has one chair in his kitchen mm-hmm. to eat at because he doesn't have a family. He has a tiny bed, nothing adorning the apartment. He is just you know enjoying the bare necessities of life, plus a little bit of whiskey and Pepto as a treat, maybe some Drano yeah. as a treat. But like he's like fish and miso, that is all you need. It, it it does remind you of those people that are like, I don't I don't like food. I just eat when I yeah. Or well, he says it in the when he's at the doctor's, like I eat yeah. when I'm hungry. Or, yeah. It's like that is such a like a like a skewed view of how you're supposed totally. to like yes. appreciate. Well, it's the premise of the film it begins when a young man seeks counseling from a reverend because he does not believe it's right to bring a child into this world. And that sort of sets the story in motion. And uh, that's not a question we would have been asking 25 years ago. Mm -hmm. But uh, my kids, as well as their friends, do ask this question now. Are there genres that are purely American? Is there a kind of filmmaking that does not belong in America? And Paul, you know I'm going to talk to you about that. Uh, I don't know if you you've read Paul's book. Uh, he wrote one of the seminal books about film history called Transcendental Style and Film. Yeah. And now, and, and when we first met 20 years ago, I asked you about that influence on Taxi Driver. And here you are now making First Reformed, which is clearly influenced by Ozu, Bresson, Carl yeah. Theodore Dreyer. In, in March of 1969, I was a film critic for the LA Free Press. I went over to the Limley Theater, saw a screening of Pickpocket, and I reviewed it. And in that 75 minutes, it's a short film, two things happened that changed my life. 
One was I realized that there was a bridge between my spiritual life and my film life, and it was a bridge of style, not a bridge of content. And the other thing oh. I realized is that, in fact, there was a place for me in the film business other than a critic. And two years later, I had written the book, and three years later, I had written Taxi Driver, which is a pickpocket. And then 50 years later, those two seeds, which fell in that Petri dish, came and wound up, and I made First Informed. So I'm done. <laughs> You're finished. <laughs> I feel strongly that the additive process is much more creative than the subtractive one. And so if you can have a first draft that works at 70 pages, yep. you know you're going to have a first draft that works at 90 pages, and it's just going to get better. And the same thing with the editing process. At some point, you say to the editor, let's make a cut of the film with just the stuff that's good. See how long it is. Maybe it's 45 minutes long, 55 minutes long. Then you put the bad stuff on. <laughs> and then, yeah. see how, and then see how much of the rest we have to put in. And now you're thinking in an additive way rather than a subtractive way. When you're always thinking subtractively, how can I make this shorter? How can mm -hmm. I cut this down? It's not good for your creative process. I began on spec. I'm still writing on spec. Mm. Um, I think I've only had a handful of paid jobs in my life. So I walked in the door seeing this as a form of therapy, oh. and I still do. And so, uh, of course, you're going to get into what are the things that are motivating you. Mm. And the, the first script, Taxi Driver, was loneliness, you know, boom. And you find a metaphor, a taxi cab, mm. take a plot and run it through the metaphor. And... Uh, so I, I've wished many times that I could be a better employee because there's certainly money to be made. But I've tried a number of times and, uh, <laughs> and it's not really worked. I like that. <laughs> Have you ever been fired? Yes. Uh, well, not, not so much fired is um, you hand in the first draft, you get no notes, you get paid for your rewrite, and the phone doesn't ring. I guess that's kind of telling you that what they think of your draft. <laughs> is there a major film that you'd like to remake? Foreign film, classic Hollywood film? Hmm. I get terrified by that. I well, that's all we do. <laughs> you know, good point. Perfect. <laughs> exactly right. Yeah. We're a good duo. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, you're just picking and choosing. You don't actually originate anything. Nothing. You just go through this huge buffet of cinema and, and make your own plate. And even though all the elements are out there at this endless Chinese buffet, uh, everybody's plate is different. And, I, and something that also reminded, that I re-listened to um, today was the A24 podcast between him and Sofia Coppola. Mm. Um, and it was the first time that I ever heard Schrader in interviews. And to hear that like that gargling, voice, that yeah. gruff like aged, uh, I, I was like, what? Is this? <laughs> but but it's like it is interesting because like seeing more Schrader interviews like about his past films and and for ones like a better concerning uh, Master Gardener and Card Counter you're like that's just Schrader but like to yeah. now introduce it to to me who like like I, I just I was so struck by First Reformed and to hear him like talk about it was like what who are you yeah very funny um, yeah yeah this is like one of and it's also like one of Faster's. Schrader's faster, Schrader's fastest shoots in his career. Um, yeah. 
Like it was only like a twenty five day shoot. And wow, it cost shit! Like no, really, three million dollars yeah. because of the lack of because of the restraint that he had with the um, transcendental style that um, was applied to this film. He didn't really have much to to do with like what do you mean by transcendental camera or much? It was like. Like, that's you know, that's like, the, like the whole the ethos that he works within. Like that's what his book, what when he was because he was a critic before he was a filmmaker. Um, he wrote a book on transcendental style and talked about the films of Ozu, Brisson, and Dreyer, um, and the way that they kind of operate in like a in like a way in which like you show the routine of someone's life until it suddenly transcends what normally happens to them. And it's a little bit like sparse. I would say there's not Ooh. a lot of adornment. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Um, yeah. So it's like yeah. a mostly about process. And yeah. Stuff like that. Fleeting. Yeah. Almost. That's my bad. I, I, I shouldn't have just called into that, but uh, yeah, especially with Brisson. Um, yeah. I think it's like the major one of like the filmmakers that he's inspired by. Yeah. Um, and it's really cool to to hear him talk about that because it, it's an idea that he's always applied to his movies, but not made one directly, uh, yeah. influenced by by that style. Are we ready to get a favorite scene? Any other thoughts? <laughs> I, I I think yeah. I, I think I'm I'm tapped out. I love this movie. <laughs> yeah, I know I could do this for I could do this all day. <laughs> I cannot. I've said all I needed to um... say. I'm I'm depressed. Now. <laughs> um... I'm sad now. This is the most fun I've ever freaking had, you guys. This, <laughs> this was actually not that I mean, bad. It's usually like... No, this was... No. Some no. of these movies were like, yeah, oof, uh, that was a part that was... Oof, yeah, that was a bummer. Yeah. I don't uh, know. This movie's never been that depressing no, to me. No, it's, like, it's more... You know what I mean? Like, it's it's just like... it. It's... It's real. It's... It's yeah. tangible. Like, this is, this is what the world is. It's tangible. It's... You know, but the real the real lesson that we all learned, yet again, is that it's about the loss of innocence. You motherfucker! Yeah, you motherfucker! Loss I, of innocence. Because really, it's right. We we are fully in belief that every movie, in one way or another, is about the loss of innocence. Uh, mm. Anybody have a favorite scene that, that they like to? Talk about or favorite scene from First Reformed? I think I, I love the ending. Yeah. That's my favorite part. It's a good one.
Just see anytime I think of this movie, I see Ethan's eyes when he says, "I forget what the line is," but basically, like, there, we need to do something. Somebody yeah. has to do something. Somebody Some, has to do something. Yeah. I just I. Literally, anytime I close my eyes and think about that movie, I see his face and his eyes when he says that. That desperation, mm-hmm. that frustration, that sense of moral duty, and that sense of so, I'm so done. I can't live in this powerless version of myself anymore. Someone has to do something or we're all going to die. And just this like, like this almost moment of just like, I'm refusing to say nothing and to pretend like what is, they pretend that we're not boiling alive right now. Yeah. Somebody has to do something. It's, it's just, it fucking. It's fucking great. It's fucking great. But it's also just, it's like, especially in the last, and not to make everything about the current time or like, I've felt like that so much in the last like month or so about what, what, you know, with all the things happening, whether it be in politics and Gaza and all these, just like, we all know, we all know what we're seeing is horrific and awful and no one's really like and nothing's being done to really change it and we're all just have to sit here and just be like this is fucking awful and like 70 yeah. percent of people believe also believe it's fucking awful 
and we're just like and we just sit here and do nothing and it just it, it and we act like it's not happening so it's just like that level i literally had some i i felt like i had that moment at work um like two weeks ago when i was talking to my boss about everything that was happening i'm like well it, i almost feel like i said those words like somebody has to do something because it was just so it's such a it's the moment we live in right now and obviously this isn't new like people have always felt powerless in a way but now it's so apparent because it's just like yeah no matter who what we support who we vote for what we do or what you know it's just nothing not really yeah Yeah. we all know the problem but we don't want to do anything about it there have been several unprecedented times if i may use another uh key vocab word but (laughs) It's uh, it, it, yeah. That's that's the beauty of this movie. That's why it, that's why it's one of the best out there. It's like yeah. it it didn't necessarily, you know, you would never say it predicts, but it has its finger on the pulse for so much atrocity that's going to come. Yeah, pandemic since pandemic after twenty eighteen. Uh, yeah, it was a year before Trump. Post post Trump, yeah, like. And, and, but it's no, not wait. like it doesn't have to be. No, he was elected. Why did I think it was a year before? No, he was a year. Wait, yeah, yeah it's okay. Yeah, yeah. but it, it doesn't have to be like about everything. It can be like about the climate crisis. But it's like the feeling that it's provoking in its audience is timeless to me. Yeah, I wasn't aware that I had offended. Jesus doesn't want our suffering. He suffered for us. Mm-hmm. He wants. Our commitment and our obedience. And what of his creation? The heavens declare the glory of God. God is present everywhere in every plant, every river, every tiny insect. The whole world is a manifestation of his holy presence. I think this is an issue where, where the church can lead, but, but they say nothing. The, the U.S. Congress still denies climate change? Where were we when these people were elected? Uh, something that similar to what you're saying about Ethan's line reading there is Ethan's facial reactions when there is a dark and um, desolate apartment and the only lighting is a computer screen and he's yes. looking at the yes. best gif, um, <laughs> that, which is my pick. And then, like, I think that is leading into, like, the drive into, like, the waste area like the the swamp or like the lake or whatever and he's just like and and we hear the voiceover narration about finding a new form of prayer yeah um yeah that's always a concerning thing to hear when anyone's found a new form of prayer you're like what do you mean (laughs) (laughs) like because i can be so loaded like you want to expand on that or you're like no i just like sit at home and light a candle oh okay cool 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 all right that's cool (laughs) But it's I almost know. like, yeah, I, you know, I drive by in the darkness of night. I found a new form of prayer. You're like, whoa, whoa. Okay, Batman. All right. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's so fucking good. Um, <laughs> I have found the answers. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think that's, I think that's everything. We've been um, reformed. It's just, it's movies that are so, that are so, like, massive to me. Like, did we do everything? But I think we did all we can, right?
Every act of preservation is an act of creation. Everything preserved renews creation. It's how we participate in creation. I've found another form of prayer. Uh, sorry, I thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thanks, thanks for having me, guys. Such, we are such a pleasure to have you. So happy to have you here. Please, we would love to have you again. Like, thank this you. Is so awesome <laughs> to join us. Uh, where can everybody find you online? Where can everybody um, find? Nighttime, yeah, like, so so you can find out. me at Soraya Spaghetti, spelled S O R A Y A Spaghetti, spelled the correct way. Um, and my band is called Night Talks, N I G H T T A L K S. Um, we have a new song coming out on November fifteenth, so a few days from this recording, but probably a day before be my birthday. The time this episode's out. A birthday present for you then. Um, yeah, and we've been putting out music and videos and all sorts of stuff so look for us there hopefully we are playing in someone's city sometime soon stay tuned portland? this is gonna be <laughs> portland oregon Ooh. would love to get to portland i would soon. i would come to that <laughs> finally i get the two um, of you to meet in real life <laughs> <laughs> never but, gonna happen okay okay what would you think is paul schrader's favorite net talk sean oh god uh um, if, if you were to have if you were to pick one, I think you probably would pick um, maybe the newest one that we have coming out, just because it, it's it's I I it's nothing like Taylor Swift, but I do think the new song that we oh, have I'm is like <laughs> is our best and our and like a, a very like it's like it's a, it's a still an alt rock song, but it's definitely got a lot of pop going on, and I feel like mm-hmm. I, you know I feel like it's one of those songs where you're just like yeah, I got no choice but to be like yeah, I like this. Paul, if you hear yeah. this, please please email do you me. Think, do you think Paul likes Duba Lipa? He probably thinks she's I, very attractive. Well, yeah. Okay. He, well, he same, Paul. Same. Yeah. yeah. Um, I would say, like, because I was going to bring up that Paul is a Swifty as well. Yeah. And, like, I think he would he would dig Overcome. Oh, yeah, probably. But, that's a good point. Yeah. Like, Thank yes, you. Like, <laughs> that's similar. As a similar. Yes. I've clearly thought about this before. Yes. Uh, thank you. No, thank um, you. <laughs> I can be found on Twitter at JK Draper. Can be found on Letterbox Jack Draper Seven. I'm writing on film at the Boston Hassle. Um, this movie is now available currently on Canopy and Max, and elsewhere. Where did you guys? Do you guys own it? Or I forget. I think I, I yes. think I watched. I think I own it somewhere. I I, 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 I plead the fifth on that. Okay. <laughs> Crimes. Uh, ne- next episode, we're gonna stick with a twenty-four. And we're gonna go over to Swiss Army Man with your friend and mine, Eric Zipper. We're gonna fart our way to Swiss Army Man. I'll tell you what, 
We're going to fire all the way up <laughs> Which, there. Yeah, yeah. One of us is the corpse. One of us is alive. We're going to figure This was the podcast I was made for. It. A podcast where I can just fart the whole time and no one looks at me weird. Mm-hmm. Have you seen it? No, but I farted before. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. I, well, I saw it in theaters. It was interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I remember liking it at the time. I, yeah. I think I saw If you had to fart when you were watching that movie, but you were in the theater, you'd be like, yes. Right. Covered in the darkness of night. <laughs> that is an interesting it'll way be, to put it. It'll, it'll be interesting to, to watch after the everything everywhere of it all. Like, to like see, oh, right, that's where you came from. No, it's called Everything Everywhere All at Once. That's silly, Jack. He always gets that title wrong. Okay. You, you, you're too much today. You are way I'm too spunky. Much. Yeah. I don't like it. Oh, uh, everyone follow me at Birds of Clay on Twitter and on Letterboxd <laughs> and on Instagram. You can follow me on, uh, or no, that's all. That's everywhere you can follow me, goddammit. Uh, you can send us an email at xbeam2010.gmail.com. You can send us, or you can follow us at twi- on Twitter at ettpod. Fucking this up. Uh, rate, review, subscribe. Those five stars on any podcast platform. That's us on too. Um, run up to someone in the middle of the street. It says, someone has to do something. And when I mean something, I mean, go listen to Exit in 2010s and then run away. Um, <laughs> stay, be good to yourselves. Stay vigilant. And stream night talks. Stream night talks, Thank absolutely. Yeah, um, yeah. Support what, uh, try to support the humanitarian, humanitarian crisis that's happening in Gaza right now. All right, your public. I know I, 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 spent, I spent so much of this podcast saying nothing matters and nothing we do works, but I'm like, hey, you might as well. You still probably should try. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> well, I mean, I, what I took from that is that everything was fixed from Don't Look Up. Oh, that's is true. Is that not? What, no, I what heard. Happened? I heard yeah. that too. I heard that too. Okay. Okay. Yeah, okay. Adam McKay and okay. David Serrata yeah. fixed everything, guys. Absolutely. <laughs> Can't believe it. Um, but yeah, you know, be good to yourselves, stay safe, and we will catch you next time on exiting through the 2010.